they definitely have a shtick and every one of their songs hinges on but that But you like shtick. Bloodhound Gang. I well <laughs> It's the same thing. You got me there. I it's mean, a dirtier. What when did I ever say I like how did you just out me as a Bloodhound Gang fan? <laughs> We've talked about this okay, before. Okay. I <laughs> that's not a band that you advertise that you love. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, don't love need to them, cut this from the, the show. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Grey Ghost 81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. This month we're going 16-bit in the shadows as we check out three Shinobi titles for the Sega Genesis. Should you let Shadow Dancer, The Revenge of Shinobi, and Shinobi 3, The Return of the Master Ninja sneak onto your backlog? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at rfgplaycast, and Rich is at TheSingleBanana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
check, check, check. Check one, two, one, two, one, two. Just want to do one thing real quick. Okay. That's going to involve clickety clacketing. What were you trying to do? I just wanted to add my list of songs for the concert cast. I uh-huh. like to note what year each one came out. I'm not going to go into like what album they're on or whatever, but I just wanted to get the year so people get. Oh an idea damn! I didn't era, even do any of that. What era it's from? Don't worry. It's it's all good. <sighs> well, now you're making me feel unprepared. <laughs> well. Speaking of unprepared, I wanted to kick it off with a couple of uh, TV shows, but I actually haven't finished Alice in Borderland, but I'm watching it on your recommendation because as everybody knows, there's a Korean TV show called Squid Game, which took the world Mm -hmm. by storm. And I'm not usually on the precipice of live TV that gets hyped up, but there's a few exceptions. I really like Stranger Things. I was into that when it was popular. Black Mirror I came around to after a while but a lot of these shows that come out I couldn't care less but when I see that it's like this weird battle royale thing from Asia I I love Asian cinema Korean Japanese whatever I had to check it out and my wife and I watched it really loved it and then you had put in a chat that Alice in Borderland was even better so we started watching that (laughs) And uh, it's pretty good. I'm going to, well, I'm not finished with it. I got, we have two episodes to go, but I'll say like that in and of itself is kind of proof of how we feel about it, which is that we've been watching Alice in Borderland for like four weeks now. And it took us like two weeks to get through Squid Game because you're like, oh, watch the next episode. Oh, we got to watch the next one. The next one's, you know, and there's that one short episode and it's like, the next one's only 30 minutes. Let's just watch it. And then it's like, the next episode's the last episode. Let's just watch it. So I think Squid Game has some kind of uh, like je ne sais quoi, like the colorfulness of it and everything. The, the, the whole I agree thing, with that completely. Yeah. yeah. It just has a thing that hooks you. And it, it has its faults. There, there's been so, so much analysis done about it. There's so much symbolism and then you go one layer of symbolism, then there's a deeper layer of symbolism. We don't have to get into all that, but it is really a rabbit hole that you can go down. And there's just, a, it's very rich with things to think about. Mm-hmm. With Alice in Borderland, I'm finding that there's a lot of like dystopian cliches. Like there's a lot of tropes that, like the whole thing about the beach is a trope that I've seen in so many of post apocalyptic fiction. Like, this, sure. this like holdout group with a charismatic, almost cult like leader. And I'm like, um, I kind of was having the feeling that I've seen this before. And not that Squid Game is this completely original thing. Like it's Battle Royale, it's the Hunger Games uh, combined with a bunch of other things. But mm-hmm. yeah, just wanted to start out with that and see if you had to, any elaboration there. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with uh, what you said about the color. Squid Game is very vibrant and really cool. I love how it plays on childhood games and, you know, kind of comparing those types of games over in Asia to what we have here. A lot of them very similar, but some differences, of course. I think with Squid Game, the one thing that I didn't really care for is I felt like it ended really abruptly. I felt like it needed one or two more episodes From the next to last episode to the very last episode, it just throws you into the game immediately. 
Yeah. There needs to be some buildup between the two characters. You know, you of course know it and know who I'm talking about. I don't want to ruin it for anyone who's not seen it. Um, there is a lot of buildup throughout the entire series, but I don't know. I just felt like there was a little more hype needed there instead of jumping into it. And I was a little disappointed in how it ended, the way it ended. I, I did like the twist at the end. I thought that was cool. But with Alice in Borderland, I don't know, man. I, I There's something I really, really like about it, like the tensions between all the people who are in the games. It's not just the very few, but you start meeting new characters and things like that. And there's all these twists and turns. It's like Game of Thrones in the sense of don't get too attached to too many characters. And you know what I'm talking about oh, there yeah. far enough. <laughs> um, but yeah. the other thing is, especially with the beach, and if you have two more episodes left, there's additional twists and turns through there. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, the series is not over at the end. It does open up for more, which I'm really, really excited about. Where Squid Game, I felt like it was sort of a finale. Though I've heard rumors that they're going to do a second season, right? Oh, of course, with the ratings they got on the first one, even if they weren't planning to already, they definitely are now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. With One of the things that made me enjoy Borderland a little bit better was when I, I kind of realized, okay, it's based on a manga. If you watch this show and in your head view it as a live action anime... To me, I got a lot more enjoyment when I like just kind of accepted that, that this is more of an anime than like a realistic series, you know what yeah. I mean? So whereas Squid Game at least could conceivably be based in reality. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about Squid Game. Maybe it's that really annoying female character that's in it. And I know like, uh, I yeah, my, my and it's funny sometimes. I mean, I like it sometimes, <laughs> but... It's a little overused, I feel like. And, you know, maybe it's not for other people, but um, I don't know. It, it just kind of graded on me after a while. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope you finish the other two episodes, and I hope you and your wife like it. I'm I'm sure you both like it. It's just that watching it so fresh off of Squid Game, you, you want to compare and contrast the two, just like I did. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it's totally. hard to enjoy something like that when you're constantly thinking about the other. Um, so... Definitely worth a watch, I would say, both of those. And I would say anybody who hasn't read Battle Royale or seen mm -hmm. the movie should go back and check that out. That was kind of the inspiration for a lot of these types of stories. Mm -hmm. Especially the Hunger Games. Not an original idea at all. For sure. And also the video game Fortnite, I would say it's an inspiration for. Definitely. And speaking of Asian cinema and the inspiration in my life, I actually got to see my favorite movie of all time, in the theater for the fourth time a couple of weeks ago. And it was the first time my wife and I were in a movie theater since the pandemic started. So that was really awesome because we we love going to the movies. We go to the Alamo Draft House twice a month or every weekend sometimes if we're on a hot streak and a, a bunch of good stuff is coming out. But we just haven't been because of the pandemic Again, it's weird to think about these things because I was talking to my friend Corey and it was like, you know, some of these things we just put on ourselves, like you can go out. Some places mm -hmm. require masks, some places this and that, distancing, whatever. Nobody's saying like, with the exception of the stuff we talked about last month, like most places you can just go, you just have to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. So 
as I said last month, you know, you got to wear the purple hat. And by the way, I, <laughs> I don't have any corrections, but we got some feedback from Chris Duke Togo, who said that he would be glad to wear the funny purple hat. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And I'm glad you kind of understand the point that I was making. But anyway, uh, my wife and I, I said Shin Godzilla is going to be playing and we are going to see it. I don't care if they make me wear a funny purple hat or go in my underwear. I'm going to see this movie in a theater. So we got tickets and it was glorious. So it came out in 2016. It was a very limited theatrical release. But when it came out, I managed to see it three times. Wow. So I'm not the kind of person who sees movies multiple times in theaters. So first of all, that's like rare for me. And this is the kind of movie that I really enjoy seeing in a theater for obvious reasons. It's not only because it's a Godzilla film and you want to see him in all his glory as large as possible, but also just because of Hideaki Anno's direction even the parts without Godzilla are just beautifully shot. You know, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie and just people talking in rooms and just the way it's framed and shot is just gorgeous. It was just awesome to see it in a theater. Such a treat. It's Godzilla's like 65th anniversary, I think. So the Draft House was doing a bunch of showings of different Godzilla movies. A lot of them sold out instantly. I was really lucky to get these wow. tickets for Shin Godzilla. Yeah, we... We were in the very front row, <laughs> which is not, it's not too bad at the draft house. They do leave a lot of room in front of the screen before those first row seats. It was just so cool. So have you seen this movie yet, man? No, I own it though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know you keep hyping it up. I need to see it. It's not for everybody. Like I said, there's a lot of dialogue. The whole point of the movie is it was symbolic of the Fukushima disaster mm -hmm. and the tsunami in 2011. And a lot of the point of the movie is how bureaucracies clash with each other when there's an emergency and it's hard mm -hmm. to get things done. So it's not for everybody, but I just really, I love the characters and I discovered my favorite, call her my favorite actress. It's uh, Mikako Ichikawa. She plays this character called uh, Hiromi Oshigura, and I just fell in love with her. She's like this kind of nerdy, standoffish character in the movie, and she's a very popular Japanese actress, so I've been like hunting down her other movies, and uh, she's just awesome, so... You know, that's the thing about these Godzilla films. They're these clever ways to mask these themes about social constructs. The monster is the least of the worry. There's always some sort of socio-political thing going on in the background. And so the kaiju is just this mask and this enormous thing that you're looking at. But the point of the movie is completely different than just a large monster attacking Tokyo, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's an iconic line that <laughs> that the character Hiromi actually says in the movie where they're the U.S. says, like, if you can't contain Godzilla, we're going to nuke him. And so then uh, there's obvious references to atomic weapons mm -hmm. being used on, on Japan. Yeah. <laughs> on Japan. And uh, she says the humans are worse than Godzilla. So kind of kind of spelling it out there. But it is actually a iconic line from the movie. But yeah, you got to watch it. Yeah. Watch it like at a time. See, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but <laughs> just like <laughs> watch it with your kids or something like, I don't know. 
it's it's fun, but I'm I'm just afraid that some people will get bogged down by all the dialogue, which is something I actually like. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it shows more. There's more action and more Godzilla than the American 2014 movie. I I was so mad about that one, but I've talked about it before. So. All right. Well, speaking of large monsters looming, <laughs> I attended the big convention in Connecticut, Retro World Expo, for the third time. Our buddy Bill was kind enough to host me at his place and actually shared a room with him and our good friend Bickman 2K. Awesome. Yeah, a lot of our friends didn't make this trip for obvious reasons. Uh, it's still in the middle of the pandemic and... I'm sure a lot of people didn't come out to the show for that reason, but I will say it was a very successful event. There are a lot of people there, a lot of great vendors. I had an absolute blast. And the good thing about going up there is it's not like going to a normal convention where you buy your ticket and you show up. Being with Bill is awesome because you get to be behind the scenes and see everything that's going on. And, you know, we go up a day before and we help out. Uh, we check in vendors and tote around arcade machines and things like that. So it does sound like work. And, you know, I did take time off of work to go up there and work on a Friday and Saturday. But for the most part, I was just helping them out and, um, you know, Adam and I were helping guests and letting them know where things were and where to go and answering questions and things like that. But we really got to enjoy the majority of the show. And so um, unlike times in the past when we would have a table set up and we would be selling things and talking about the website, we got to enjoy much of the convention and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, definitely want to thank Bill for hosting us and I uh, hope to do it again in the next few years. That's very cool, man. I would like to make it to one of those eventually. Yeah, I wish you would, man. It's a lot of fun. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were hanging out with our asshole friends, did any of them point out any mistakes from our previous episodes they did not because i don't know if our episode was out at that time <laughs> the last one wasn't out oh, at that true, time for true. sure but no they did not point out any mistakes i know our friend bill is an avid listener and we appreciate that and if you haven't listened to the last show he really enjoyed that one quite a bit one thing that i wanted to point out and a mistake that i made we were discussing Talking Heads, and I had mentioned a song called Up All Night. Well, that is not the actual name of the song. It is called Stay Up Late. And so I misspoke uh, yes. there. And once again, it's about a friend having a baby and you over at their house partying and keeping the baby up all night uh, to the chagrin of the parents. So uh, it's a really fun <laughs> song, uh, a very interesting topic for a song, and one of my favorite by them. Uh, how about you, Sean? Did you have anything that you needed to point out or find any mistakes? There was some things I noticed uh, listening back to the previous episode, but I didn't. they weren't serious enough to note, and I just kind of forgot what they are, little misspoken pieces here or there, but... Nothing of any consequence, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, our friends haven't been pointing out any mistakes in our shows recently, but I still like the, doing this part of the podcast because if we make mistakes, we can clarify them, so that's always good. Oh, yeah. A lot of times, listening back, there are things, uh, I should have teased that out a little <laughs> bit, or I wish I'd have said that differently, or just factual stuff like 
uh, song titles or, you know, yeah. uh, it's good to get the record straight on those. So I agree. We should keep it. I ain't going down on a guy at 65 miles an hour just for a crummy ride. To the edge of the edge, hop the curb and wind up in the hedges. Too many vices, not enough hands. Death metal in a minivan. Death metal in a minivan. Death metal in a minivan. Too many vices, not enough hands. Death metal in a minivan. Working beast, head bunny steez. Charming killer with the tongue and teeth. Long these weeds out of summer breeze. Mustard stain from a dungarees. Dirty sticking dude on the urban scenic roof. Step around the town in my bourbon drinking boots. Stay as far with a bacon crown, and I ain't too far to wait around. Shit so going downhill quick. Can't wait. Kicker on a ghost Chevette Ride past in a match the gas Blink and wink, got him soaking wet Big squeeze with the jerry curl Thrash metal in the dark blue Jetta Watch out girl, it's a scary world And you dealing with a shark too, Yeti Death metal in a minivan Cocaine on my jet black jacket Need a pretty girl to lend me a ham Bring me freaking fries in a ketchup packet Exploits on the handy cam Wild nights at the old cantina Softball butts and leather pants Martin on the TV like, damn, Gina To the edge of the edge, hop the curb and wind up in the hedges. Too many vices, not enough hands. Death metal in a minivan. Death metal in a minivan. Death metal in a minivan. Too many vices, not enough hands. Death metal in a minivan. Crush these screws, round busting the boot down. Deep burst the illustrious blues hounds. Too many vices, not enough hands. Grape seed oil on your girl's nightstand. Trumps on the beat for the scum in the street. Spun on boomers, got thumbs on my feet. Cruise control of my orbital boot. Pull myself a pole up for all right, so uh, let's roll into the concert cast. And before we get to this month's topic, I would like to talk about a show that my wife and I went to. Same. So I mentioned before that we had bought tickets to go see Psychedelic Furs. We left our house at about 7.30 that evening, and it takes about an hour to get to the venue. So we showed up at the venue right between the break of the opener and Psychedelic First. So it was perfect because this was during a weeknight. So we both had to work the next day, but we were home by 12 o'clock, which is so funny. I think I've spoken about this before, but as you get older, you're just like, ah, oh, I just want to get home at a decent time. I know I have to work tomorrow. I'm going to be dragging. It's going to be hard to focus if I don't get back. So it's definitely a different experience from being in college and going to shows because when I was in college, I was like, screw it. I'll just sleep in and skip that class tomorrow, you know? But with yeah, work, you yeah. can't really do that without having to take a uh, paid time off day. So uh, we went to the show. It was a great crowd. It was actually sold out. And um, it was a mask-required event. This is not up to the artist. This is something that the venue's doing. And you do have to have a COVID vaccine, or you have to have proof of having a test within three days of going to the show. Even though that was the case, uh, the show was still sold out, and it was a great time. And Psychedelic Furs played about 16 songs. Just phenomenal such a great band and uh they still got it i mean it points the lead singer's a little bit pitchy can't hit some of the notes but overall i would say if you get a chance to go see them you definitely should just a, a fantastic experience for me and uh got to mark that one off my bucket list 
That is awesome. I just wanted to note that it's funny you mentioned going out on a weeknight because when my wife and I went to see Shin Godzilla, it was on a Tuesday night. (laughs) So what we did was both of us took a vacation day on Wednesday and just took the day (laughs) off. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, when you get in those sleep patterns. (laughs) Oh, I know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to tell you about that, but... Yeah, I'm the type of person, I go to bed around between midnight and one o'clock every night. That's just my routine. So to be back before midnight was perfect. And I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, I drove to a show, I watched a show, and I drove back and still got in the bed before 12 o'clock. What is it that I'm doing every night that it makes the night seem so much shorter than what that seemed, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) So I... I also went to a show, and again, this is the first show I've been to since, I believe, February of 2020, Yeah, uh, which was back when Corey and I saw Sloan. That was the last show I saw before the pandemic started. So this show was at Stubbs, and in contrast to the show you went to, this was a super spreader event. <laughs> no papers necessary, no mask necessary. They have on their website that they want people to wear masks, but I would say uh, there were hundreds of people there and I saw maybe five people wearing masks. Yeah. That was a little bit surprising to me because, you know, it's a very blue city. There are still people very much precautious about conditions, you know. So, yeah. Now, to me, I was happy about it. I think, you know, well, you guys can tell what I think. You know what I think. (laughs) But I I was just very happy to be out in the world outside with many, many people slamming into me up against me. You know, I was we didn't try to be in a mosh pit, but you know how sometimes they get out of control. Uh, So anyway, this was a show at Stubbs in Austin, and it was Alkaline Trio and Bad Religion. Um, Nice, man. Alkaline Trio was great, but they had an issue where the the singer Matt lost his voice a couple songs into the set. The good thing about the band is that they kind of have two lead singers. The bass player, Dan, sings a bunch of his own songs, so... What they did was they leaned on Dan's songs and then Dan just sang some of Matt's songs as well. So I know they cut a few songs out of the set because people had looked up the set list. But what they did for the last song, they actually pulled this young lady out of the crowd to sing one of their bigger hits and she knocked it out of the park, man. I almost thought it was like rehearsed, (laughs) but... You know, uh, she <laughs> just cool. did such a good job. They pulled her out of the crowd because she had an alkaline trio tattoo. So like, <laughs> she's going to know the words. And and she did a really, really good job. And then to see Bad Religion, they're not a band that I'm like, I was ever super into. But they're one of the, you know, one of the all time classic punk bands from, you know, like yeah. the skate punk era of the early 80s. So it was cool to just kind of cross them off my list and say that I've seen the other band from Crazy Taxi besides, <laughs> besides The Offspring. I still haven't Related seen Related back to video so. games, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, my wife and I ate at Stubbs Barbecue while we were in Austin a few years ago. And mm-hmm. isn't the venue at the same place just outside? Is that right? 
Yeah, as far as I know, they have like an indoor and an outdoor. Um, okay. It's like a bar restaurant. Mm-hmm. Was there a small stage? Because I've never been on the indoor part. Was there a, a obviously there was a stage in there? Or I no? believe there's a downstairs as well to the place. I could be wrong. I may be misremembering that. But uh, yeah, I don't quite remember a stage in that area. I, it's funny. I've been to many shows at Stubbs, but every single one of them has been the outdoor stage, which is huge. And it's just this big, wide open area. So I can say this good barbecue is really good. I believe I had some brisket there. It's fantastic. Yeah, dude, there's no such thing as bad food in Austin. <laughs> we had some people from out of town visiting at my job and they were like, oh, it's some good places to eat. And it's just like, there's no bad food. Just <laughs> just go to any food truck, any independent restaurant, and you're going to have a good time. Absolutely. Well, in early December, my wife and I are going to see all them witches at the cat's cradle, which is the same place we saw psychedelic first. So I'm going to be excited to report back on that. If you haven't listened to the album sleeping through the war by all them witches, it's one that I highly, highly recommend. It's uh, different than anything you might've heard before, but uh, really cool and very, very excited about that show. That's awesome. They were on your top uh, songs of the decade, yeah. right? Top albums of it the was. decade. I believe this album was on that. Very cool. All right. So are you ready to get into the list? Yeah, absolutely, man. Do you want me to tell you about how this list came about? I was just going to ask you how you came <laughs> up with this one. Well, it's funny. I was driving down the road and uh, a song came on the radio that I really, really love. And it just happened to be about cars. And I thought to myself, hmm, there's other songs that I like about cars. Let me see if I can think of some. And then, you know, a few started popping in my head. I said, hmm, this might be an interesting topic. You know, we always do these, I don't want to say normal topics, you know, top six rap albums or top six albums from the 70s and things like that. But I thought this might be a little different and put a little bit of slant on it and make us think really hard about songs about cars so uh i'm interested to see what you came up with sean but before we go into that there were a few songs that we excluded right i believe so just because it would be so easy for both of us to have them one was prince right prince's little red corvette yes yeah and you mentioned that to me and i was like oh my god i didn't even think about that song (laughs) i would have loved to have that song on my list uh uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would have definitely put this song on my list, but you and I had decided, nah, let's not do that one. And then the other was Gary Newman's Cars, right. which I thought was a little too easy. So uh, besides those two, which we would say are very good songs and very strong honorable mentions, let's go into our top six songs about cars, Sean. What do you have for number six? Yeah, this is going to be awesome. And let me just say, I have a track really high on my list that is a song that you told me about. So I'm oh, it's it's wow. one of those situations that I hope it's on your list. I don't really want to steal it from you, but it it's going to be mentioned on somebody's <laughs> list. Because okay. if you don't mention it, I'm taking it. So I might be kicking myself in the ass for not having it on my list too. <laughs> we'll see. So that'll be interesting. All right, man. 
Uh, so my number six is Whoever You Are by Geggy Ta. This came out <sighs> in <Yeah>. 1996. <laughs> um, so this is just a silly song about just appreciating a person who lets you merge into their lane. And that's all it is. It's, you know, he's saying, all I want to do is to thank you, even though I don't know who you are. You let me change lanes while I was driving in my car. It's very catchy. It's it's j- kind of jammy. Uh, the only reason it's not higher on my list is that the the song kind of gets it gets really like corny at the end and kind of stay uh-huh. overstays its welcome. He starts doing this scat crap and like it it just gets really jammy and loses its way. Like it's very catchy in the first half of the song and then it turns into like a fish concert at the end and it's like. <laughs> You know, this is this. Nobody likes that, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Geggy Ta, kind of an underappreciated artist, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he went on to form that group, The Bird and the Bee, which was hmm. which is a really cool indie duo that I would also highly recommend. So that's my number six. Cool man, I remember getting that in college. I want to say around 1998, 1999, and it was on a compilation CD that was called Hell on Wheels, I believe. Don't hold me to that. Was that, that a compilation of, next month? Was that all car songs? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I, I just oh, remember okay. being called Hell on Wheels, and it was <laughs> uh, you know, more indie kind of newish music. So I may have to look that up, man, and check it out. All right, man, great pick. Nice. For my number six, of course, you know, I listen to a lot of oldies music. And so I love Wilson Pickett and I am going with his song Mustang Sally. Okay. I think that's a really cool song. It may not be about a car, but it is definitely car related. Wilson Pickett, Dock of the Bay was his big hit, but Mustang Sally was a close second and just a wonderful, wonderful song. Mustang Sally, you better slow your Mustang down. Just about a kind of wild lady, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right. Uh, So there's a lot of oldies that are about cars. You just mentioned Mm -hmm. one. So I went through a lot of songs that were, um, I'll just mention them in my honorable mentions, but let's just say the Beach Boys have a lot of songs about cars. (laughs) An overwhelming amount of songs. Yeah, and I had to really narrow it down. You want to hear something funny, man? There was, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a made-for-TV movie in like the 90s that was about the Beach Boys. And Mm -hmm. there's this one really funny scene where they're like, oh, we're from California and we've got all these songs about surfing and we got all these love songs. Everybody knows love songs. But not everybody knows surfing. What are we writing for the Midwesterners and all the landlocked people? And they're like, cars. And it's like, <laughs> you're a genius. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it is true. And they were, they have many songs about cars. And, you know, I went through like, okay, which one of these songs? A little Deuce Coop. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of other ones. But my number four. I'm going to go with Shut Down. It's a cool song about a street race, basically. A Stingray versus a 413. 
I don't know anything about these cars, but he describes the mechanics of the cars in detail. The lyrics are really good. And it's a really cool song about a race. And it's, you know, buddy, we're going to shut you down. I, I love that song. Okay. And that's the Beach Boys? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I've it's... I've never heard that song, man. You know, some Beach Boys songs that you think are them are covers, but I do believe that's an original Beach Boys song. Very cool. All right. For my number five, I'm going back in time to one of my favorite bands from high school and one of my favorite albums of all time. I mentioned that I had a white zombie poster on my wall when I was in high school. And so there are a few songs by, well, white zombie related that are about cars, which I'll mention one of my honorable mentions. But my pick for number five is Black Sunshine. I love the way this song opens up. And I can't remember. I think someone told me that Iggy Pop actually does the intro for this song where he's talking like gripping the will, his knuckles, you know, that oh, part okay. of it. I'm not sure that's true. That may be on corrections next month, but I believe <laughs> that's what I've heard before. But uh, man, the bass line by Sean Youssef in that song. Oh my gosh. It's such a brilliant song. And uh, Rob Zombie just crushes it. I love some White Zombie. I'm not a big fan of Rob Zombie's solo stuff, though there are quite a few decent songs. That's one band that I wish was still together. And so that's my uh, number five pick. That's really funny. As I go into my number four, that is not the song I thought I was going to steal from you. But when you said White Zombie, I was like, <laughs> oh, he's stealing my number four. But you didn't. My number four is Dragula by Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie, yeah. And his solo album from 98. I'm going to admit, I'm a complete white zombie poser. I only know the hits, you know, more human than human and, and whatever else came out at the time. But I put Dragula on my playlist for making this uh, list and I just really got into the song. I think it's really good. Yeah. I'm like you. I, I don't care about Rob Zombie, the person. I don't care. He keeps putting his uh, crappy actress of a wife in every single one of his movies. <sighs> so there's a lot of stuff to not like about Ruin Rob Zombie. Ruin the Halloween franchise. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but I love that song. So that's that's my number four. And I think Thunder Kiss 65, which is also off La Sex or Sisto Devil Music Volume 2, which is the album that Black Sunshine is on, might also be about a car. Don't quote me on that. And yeah. I also want to mention, do you know what Dragula refers to? Oh, man. Are you gonna, it's not a car, is it? It is. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. <laughs> it's Grandpa Munster's car from the TV oh, show cool, The Munsters. Cool. Yeah. So just a little piece of trivia there. I love The Munsters. It's a show that I've shown my kids, and uh, they love it too, which is kind of funny. All right. So uh, going into my number four, this is a song by one of the best bass players of all time, and it really, really shows off in this song. Les Claypool's band Primus. Jerry was a race car driver is my number four pick off of the album Sailing the Seas of Cheese. <laughs> I love this song. It just has this really twangy country feel to it that, you know, I can really vibe with. It's a great song. It's humorous. And man, what a fun, fun song to listen to. Yeah, this almost made my list. I listened to it a lot. So here's my thing with Primus. 
First of all, like Primus is not a band that can be taken seriously. They're basically a joke band, but the conflict is that they're one of the most talented trios of yes. rock music. Like Les Claypool is like a god of bass. But the other thing is, I don't think you would have the rap rock that came out. You wouldn't have Corn and Limp Biscuit without Primus and like Faith No More, you know? So mm. I think Primus, especially in Jerry was a race car driver, there's a key part, which is that breakdown. And he says, go before the breakdown, which is yeah. such a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So also uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two soundbite. So you can't go wrong yep. with that. So great song. I considered putting on my list. I'm glad you did. But again, Primus is like, they're a joke band. They're a novelty band to me, at least. Yeah, they remind me a little bit of, you probably know the band Southern Culture on the Skids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of similar. They play around here a lot. But, uh, oh man, you said that they influenced Corn and Limp Biscuit. Now you're kind of making me hate Primus, which well, is funny to I laugh. think so. I mean, <laughs> right? listen to that breakdown part. That could be in a Corn song. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, man. So what you got for number three? Man, I have a choice to make is what I got because I got four songs left. <laughs> one of them is the one that I'm not sure if I want you to take. Hmm. Oh, so you think I'm going to take a song. You're positive. I'm, I'm gonna not take even a song. positive because it's one of those things like, <laughs> you know, so many things come and go through our lives and you making an offhanded song recommendation to me years ago doesn't mean that you're going to remember it and put it on your list today. You know mm. what I mean? But when I hear it, it makes me think of you because you told me about it. All right, I'm going to save that for my number two. I'm going to shift one thing here. I'm going to go with, for my number three, Mercedes Boy by the artist Pebbles. <laughs> from, yes, I have it written down in my honorable <laughs> mentions. Nice. From 1988. This is an awesome song. I mean, like if you like Janet Jackson and like that early 80s yep. pop R&B kind of sound, you're going to love this song. And it's actually the woman saying, do you want to ride in my Mercedes, boy? Mm -hmm. It's less about the car and more about the sexual attraction between these two people. Tell me what you yeah. want to do with me, with me, with me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little dirty, but um, just a great song. Very smooth, very great vocal performance and kind of an unsung forgotten hit from the 80s. I agree, man. Great song. I remember that one growing up. And uh, it's one of those earworms, man. It gets stuck in your head. You know, it wasn't the most popular song out there. But when you think about 80s music and it comes on the radio, you're not going to change the station. All right. For my number three, I'm going to go with a genre that we don't talk about a lot on here, and that's country music. This is a song by the great George Jones, and the name of it is The One I Loved Back Then, subtitled The Corvette Song. It's a really awesome song because there's a story behind it, and it's about this young guy who pulls up to these gas pumps to fill his Corvette up. He's got a beautiful girl in the passenger seat, and he's sitting there talking to the gas station attendant, and the gas station attendant's like, yeah, I used to have one of those back then, you know, and talks about how good looking it is and everything. And then at the end, you find out he's not talking about the Corvette, he's talking about the woman in the car. <laughs> so it's this great flip of the script, and um, George Jones' voice is just phenomenal. I love George Jones, and uh, 
this is definitely a song if you haven't heard it. And even if you don't like country music, it's kind of funny and fun and you should definitely check it out. Awesome. I will have to check it out. I don't I don't really know that one. Yeah. Well, it'll be on our Spotify playlist, so you'll have to put it on there and listen Absolutely. to it. All right, man. So for my number two, I'm going to go for it, man. This is a song that you told me about. I never stopped listening to it. I love it so much. I don't know if you do this, but I have a Spotify playlist that's private, mm-hmm. but I, it's called Candy, and it's like ear candy for me. Whenever I don't know what to listen to, it's just like 300 of my favorite songs, and this is on there. It's Death Metal in a Minivan by Dinosaur Burps. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember this song? You're the one that told me about it. Yes, yes. Yes, I do. I had a good friend that recommended Dinosaur Burps to me. But yeah, it did not make my list. So glad you brought it up, man. It's awesome. Yeah, so this is a a really bombastic hip-hop song about like having a debaucherous, (laughs) I don't know, weekend in a minivan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Running into the hedges. And there's just all these kind of cool, like clever lines in this song and it it really reminds me of Hail Mary Mallon like the delivery is very much similar to Aesop Rock so (laughs) if you like him you would definitely like this song like Dinosaur Burps I haven't gotten too much deeper into their catalog but that song is just a party (gasps) banger I love it yeah, if you haven't listened to Dinosaur Burps, man, check those guys out. If you like rap music, but you want something that's very intelligent and funny, yeah, they're fantastic, man. Great pick. Awesome. And I'm glad it wasn't a steal. No, it wasn't. It's a pleasant surprise. All right, what's your number two? All right, so my number two is the song that I heard on the radio that helped me come up with this idea. This is a band that I listened to in high school, and it was just that phase where I was listening to 70s classic rock, you know, and I thought, oh, this band is pretty cool. But then I got older and I was like, I don't like this band at all. I was listening to Smoke on the Water a lot, and it's just not my favorite Deep Purple song. But then as I started collecting vinyl in the last few years, I've really gotten back into Deep Purple and realized they're just a fantastic rock and roll band. And the song Highway Star is one of the best songs ever. And (laughs) it is about your fast automobile eating up the highway. And uh, just, man, the guitar riff in the middle of the song, the breakdown is, oh my gosh. It's just face melting. Such a great, great song. That's why I put it at number two. Again, another one. I maybe I would know it if I heard it, but I'm gonna have to. Oh, absolutely, have to you hear would. That yeah. One when I make the playlist. Cool, man. All right, so we're down to our number ones here. A lot of times I make a list and I kind of build around my number one. And this was kind of the case. <laughs> like when you said car songs, I was like, oh, okay. I know. I'm pretty sure I know what my number one is. There's a funny story to this song and how I heard about it, which I'll I'll tell you in a minute. But the song is Cars That Go Boom, and it's sometimes credited as Cars With The Boom by the group La Trim from 1988. Yeah, this is a classic electro breakdance, like 808s song. It's about cars with subwoofers in them and how the girls like yes. them. Um, yeah, uh, Bunny D and Lady Tigra, uh, a duet from Florida. Uh, they made two albums back in the late 80s. 
and this was their biggest hit. And the funny story with them is that the way I found out about the song was kind of a long time ago. I was into the group Les Tigre, which is something totally different. And I <laughs> yeah. was talking to my a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, have you ever listened to Les Tigre? And she was like, oh, no, I don't like them. They do that stupid song, The Cars with the Boom. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And it turned out just because one of the members is named Lady Tigra, that there was, you know, when you went on LimeWire or Napster or whatever, you would sometimes get this song credited to Lady Tigre. So I <laughs> downloaded that song. I was like, this is badass. <laughs> like, this is really good. <laughs> so that was the first time you ever heard yeah, it? It was really? a while back. Like, Oh, yeah. wow. And when I say a while back, I'm going to say like, late 90s early 2000s i didn't catch it in the yeah, late yeah. 80s um but i i knew about it uh, a while ago just by accident by you know by being miscredited on <laughs> on kazaa or whatever i was using to nice <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good song and i just oh. love like the <laughs> uh in contrast to mercedes boy this song is completely wholesome there's actually even a line where she says um, he makes a comment about going to his room, but I'd rather stay out with his car that goes boom. Like, so she's not even interested in, in physical intimacy. <laughs> she just wants to hang out and crank the bass. So I, I really like that kind of wholesome nature of the song on top of everything else. Yeah, this is one of those songs where I was lying in my room with the record and play button down on my tape player and the pause button down and was waiting to like unpause it and trying not to get the radio DJ's oh, voice awesome. in the song <laughs> as I was recording it. <laughs> and this was a time where people were putting those huge stereos in their cars mm -hmm. too. And so there was a lot of songs with just some mad bass in them. You know, I, I remember listening to like DJ magic Mike and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, man, I definitely remember this song. It was a big hit where I was growing up. So uh, that's funny. It's an awesome pick, man. I love it. Amazing. Cool. All right. What's your number one? All right, man. My number one is not about driving a car, but being in the seat next to the driver. And that song is The Passenger by Iggy Pop. Okay. I love this song, man. It has such a great like little Gigina, Gigina <laughs> guitar riff in it. I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe my love for this song. It doesn't really sound like a, you know, a punk Iggy pop song, but man, it, it's just beautiful. Every time I put this song on, I get in a good mood, you know? And like you said, it's on that playlist where if I can't think of anything to listen to, I'm going to listen to this. It just makes me feel so good. And uh, I think it's by far his best song. And uh, yeah, that's my number one pick, man. I don't know what else to say about it. Amazing. Do you have any honorable mentions? Certainly. Let's see. Uh, I definitely had Dragula and Mercedes Boy on my list. One that almost made my list, but I was like, oh, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't like to put comedy pieces on here sometimes, but my wife and I were listening to songs that were on my list and we were dying and singing all the words to Piece of Shit Car by Adam oh, Sandler. Absolutely. Do you know the song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that song man so good uh i have dead man's curve on here by jan, jan and dean, dean yep, which is about yep. a tragic car accident red barchetta by rush is on here fast car by tracy chapman almost made my list i love that song it has such a great meaning behind it and uh, just so heartfelt and 
I always felt like Tracy Chapman should have taken off more than she did because her music's fantastic. And then the last honorable mention I have is The Distance by Cake. Uh, just a fun <laughs> song. And I love the band Cake. They're so much fun. Oh, man, we're going to disagree on Cake. Oh, no. <laughs> no. You don't like Italian Leather Sofa? It's such a great song. I don't know, man. They're one of those bands that they definitely have a shtick, and every one of their songs hinges on but that. But you like shtick. Bloodhound Gang. I well, <laughs> it's the same thing. You got me there. It's I mean, a dirtier. What, when did I ever say I like? How did you just out me as a Bloodhound Gang fan? <laughs> We've talked about okay, this before. Okay. I don't, <laughs> that's not a band that you advertise that you love, <laughs> and I don't. Do love I need to them, cut this from the, the show? <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Well, uh, for my honorable mentions, I did have also Dead Man's Curve. And that's what when I was talking about, like a lot of oldies go around like uh, the topic of cars. Another one is Give Us Your Blessings by the Shangri-Las. This is another tragic song about a couple who are they want to get married, but they're too young. So they're asking the girl's parents, give us your blessings. Don't make us run away. So they don't get those blessings and they run away, but then they get in a car wreck and they both die. So wow, uh, it's the Shangri Las, by the way, if you're not familiar with them. Oh yeah. I mean, they had their, their biggest hit was the leader of the pack, but if you've not gone deeper into their discography and their songs, man, like check them out. They were like the emo group of the girl groups. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause leader of the pack is a sad song too. Yeah. It's just about motorcycles and not cars. <laughs> yeah. 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 So check them. I love the Shangri-Las. Um, and then, yeah, good band, uh, bitching Camaro by the dead milkman. That's, I don't know that one. Oh really? God, it's <laughs> no, such a no. stupid song. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> check it out. You would love it because it's a stupid old punk rock song with, uh, this Thanks, like, whole... I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think because of your love of the Descendants, you would appreciate yeah. the Dead Milkmen. And this song has this like kind of long spoken word, like stand up comedy part for mm-hmm. the first half of the song. And then it breaks into like a punk song. But it's it's totally tongue in cheek, totally funny, uh, very off color and didn't age well with some of the jokes. And yeah. you'll see what I mean if you check it out. <laughs> Now, this Jello Biafra's band, is that correct? Uh, that was the Dead Kennedys. Dead Kennedys. Okay, yeah. okay, right, right. Something dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, ironically, uh, I have this on my list, and I guess I can include it, a song by the Cars called Drive, which oh, I think is yeah. a good song. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want to use a car song about cars. Two so on the nose. I just thought that would be weird. Yep. Yeah, two on the nose. There you go. <laughs> All right, man, great list. I can't wait to listen to some of these songs, man. This is going to be an incredible playlist on Spotify, too, man. It's going to be a banger, especially when I get to Tigra and Bunny and Liking the Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that in so long. But, yeah, I do have that on vinyl. I saw it in a uh, compilation, and I was like, oh, man, I got to have this. I remember this song. so great. Good stuff. Awesome. Cool. Where can we start? We like them dumb and we like them smart. I like the ones with the pretty eyes. Well, I like all kinds of guys. Stop. What happens? How about the ones we especially like? Which ones? You know, the ones with the cars that go. I hear you. Hit it. Hit it. 
Yeah, so just for news, I wanted to call out the Cartridge Club on their 100th Absolutely. episode. Uh, they had a big celebration. Uh, Dean from Round 2 Gaming actually reached out to you and I, and mm-hmm. we were able to make these little clips for this compilation video that he made. God bless him. That had to be a lot of work to make that video. Yeah. It was almost wow. an hour yeah. long. He had dozens of people making just really nice statements about the Cartridge Club and all their memories throughout the years. And it's just something that, you know, they started it as a podcast with Mark and Sean, and Mm -hmm. it just grew into this community and a whole network of YouTubers and podcasters and all different shows. And this was about the Cartridge Club proper, that podcast's 100th episode. But when you look at the people who were in this video and the whole community, it's just like this whole world that they've built. And it's just awesome. You know, we have our own thing over here. I always think of like Cartridge Club is like the bizarro version of RF Generation because I've always been with <laughs> RF Generation, but we hang out over there. They hang out with us kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it was just awesome to be part of that and to be asked to participate because you and I were on one of the episodes. We were on the, right. the episode they did for Journey. So that, mm-hmm. that was great. Yeah, we memory. did it together. Uh, we did it in tandem, actually. We got with them and, uh, you know, it's funny people would, kind of say well you guys do the same show aren't you in competition with each other no i mean we've never been we've always oh. respected what they do they've respected what we do and you know there's there's enough room for all of us to have game of the month podcast and playthroughs and stuff like that and uh as i mentioned in my shout out to them i took a lot of inspiration from what they did and uh you know when we were creating our show almost eight years ago man hard to believe but uh you know, that was a starting point for me, looking for podcasts that did something similar. And uh, I fell on them and fell in love with the show and fell in love with their website and all the people over there. I've met several of them and swapped games with several of them. Just a great group of people. And, uh, you know, just want to say congratulations. And if you want to see what Sean and I look like, you can go and check out their video <laughs> because we're both on there congratulating them. But uh yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of this, Sean. Uh, so yeah, happy 100, Cartridge Club. Good job, guys. All right, man. So do you want to go into pickups? Absolutely, I do. I have a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Dude, life is funny. I was listening to our most recent episode just a couple days ago, because that's just how it timed out. Like As we record this, our 
previous episode came out just so about a week ago. So mm-hmm. I was listening to that and how I was noting that my income and my wife's income was kind of in question for various reasons. Well, I'm happy to report a little bit of an update. Now, my position is being eliminated. Again, that has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's a business decision. I'm going to either have to find a different position within my company or find a new job. There's no changing that. My wife's position was in question and is now no longer in question. There's no such thing as job security. I strongly believe that. And especially we live in an at-will employment state. You know what I mean? Like you can get laid off, you can get fired for no reason. That's fine. Same here. But I'm happy to report she is now secure as you can be in, in her job. So whereas we thought, oh, both of us literally might be losing our job soon, it's only going to be me. So, <laughs> so um. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, your company's given you a good bit of time, too, and and a heads up. So that's a good thing, actually. Oh, absolutely. Know? And and again, I don't need to say this because I don't really like people knowing where I work, but no hard feelings. Like, they gave me eight months, I think, uh, when they first made the announcement. So, and they're giving me all the resources to explore options within the company that I'm with to stay there. I'm more excited about it than anything else. Um, I really like my job, but they're closing down the facility I work at. So, you know, it's a, it's a great error. (laughs) Sorry, that was not a Freudian slip. It's a great (laughs) era of my career is coming to an end. Um, But anyway, I mentioned that because last month I was like, well, I can't buy any games. I don't know what's going on in my life. Uh, but, you know, with the news that we're going to be kind of OK, uh, I bought a bunch of games and blew a bunch of money on <laughs> bullshit. So here we go. <laughs> uh, so I've had my eye on this game called Yakuza Like a Dragon for a long time. Partly because I collect all of the Yakuza games. I like to play them, but I haven't played one in a while. I'm kind of behind on the series, to be honest. I think I've only played uh, one through five and the Dead Souls, which was like the zombie spinoff game. So I have some catching up to do. I haven't played the Kiwami remakes. I haven't played Zero. I haven't played Judgment, which I just got a copy of from Steven. I talked about that on a previous episode. Uh, But Like a Dragon caught my eye because it's actually a turn-based game, like a turn-based RPG where all the previous games were like beat-em-ups. Interestingly enough, I now have two copies of this game because Amazon, they've been a little sloppy lately, and I've had a few packages that end up getting lost, and... Uh, If they don't deliver by the date that they say they're going to deliver, you can request a refund or a replacement. So I watch that like a hawk. And as soon as it hits that date, I request a replacement. And they say, oh, if the original package turns up, you can just return it. And I'm like, (laughs) the hell I will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... I struggle with that on a moral level because it's a little bit dishonest. But on the other hand, it's Amazon and they can go to hell. So um, (laughs) I and also I had to Frankenstein the two copies of this game together because it was an Amazon warehouse deals. So it was cheaper. Mm -hmm. But when I got the first copy, the steel book was just dented to shit. Mm. Uh, Then when I got the second copy, the sleeve around the steel book had stickers and it was all torn up 
So I actually took the sleeve from one, the steelbook from the other, Frankensteined a good copy together, and now I have this beat up copy that I don't know what to do with. Uh, It's for the Xbox One as well, so not a very popular edition of the game. I was even reluctant to get it on the Xbox One because I view Yakuza as a PlayStation franchise, but it was just way cheaper on the Xbox One, so... Yeah, cool. I just want to say real quick, um, Amazon, you can go to hell, but if you would like to sponsor this podcast, you can contact us <laughs> at RFG Playcast or at The Single Banana on Twitter. Thanks. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> hey, shot in the dark, man. Uh, uh, so that was a long story for that one, but also I got the Shimigami Tensei 5 uh, Steelbook. This is a game that just came out for the Nintendo Switch. It's not my style to just buy brand new games that are coming out at $60. I even decided to pre-order this a few days before it came out just because, you know, I've talked about this before. There are certain Switch games that just mysteriously you can't find them and then you have to, you know, the only way to get them is like a used copy for 150 bucks. Like, so being wary of that and with Atlas's history of, you know, I know they've gotten better about their printings of games. They're more into mass production the way they should be. Yeah. But I was like, I want to get my hands on this just in case, especially, you know, they were offering a Steelbook launch edition. So that's the one I got. Uh, the last thing I got from Amazon was Everybody's Golf VR. Oh, okay, and cool. And I've been playing a lot of VR traditionally when daylight savings time ends uh, and it gets dark at five o'clock. I... <laughs> break out the vr rig because it's just easier to play vr when it's dark out and when it's a little bit colder so you don't have this all this sweaty gear on your head especially if you're playing like a physical game so i had heard good things about everybody's golf vr and i'll talk more about that when we get to what are you playing lastly for scores i had a moment of weakness and made an order from gamestop because they were running a sale on t-shirts buy one get one free oh yeah so i was in for the t-shirts and then as i was browsing t-shirts there was a banner at the top that said used games buy two get one free Mm. so i was like oh man i'm gonna gotcha yep so (laughs) i mean it was a decent deal because they also do free shipping above a certain amount so I ended up getting two t-shirts and three games and it was like $45. I think that's a good deal. Yeah. So the games I got were uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night for Xbox One. Awesome. Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age for Xbox One. And then Blood and Truth, which is a PS4 VR game. And I tweeted a picture of these games out because by some miracle, (laughs) all three of them were in the original cases and in pretty decent condition. And I did respond to this. <laughs> I said, yeah. you should go buy a fucking lottery ticket ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I was feeling pretty lucky. Now, if I ever buy things from GameStop, I'm accepting that I'm going to get disc only. And I have spindles of games that are disc only. I, I have nothing against. Now, there's certain games I want the case, I want the manual, but these were like, you know, these are $8 games that I don't care. I just want to have them and play them. There is one funny thing about Blood and Truth, which again, when we get to 
what you've been playing, I'll tell you about it. But the disc was a little questionable Mm. and I had to do something to get it working. And I wonder, can you guess what old school method I used to clean and maybe buff the disc a little bit? You blew on it. No, (laughs) no, I'm against blowing on games because you're just spitting all over them. That's all you're doing. I still do it out of habit. I can't help myself. Uh, so no, I actually polished the disc with toothpaste. Have you, have you ever done this? I've heard of that before. I've never done it though. Yeah. So there was a, what looked like a scratch or like a little divot in the disc. And I was like, Ooh, that's going to be trouble. And sure enough, the disc did not play when I first put it in. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to have to run this back to GameStop and replace it. But I thought, well, I got nothing to lose. Let me try to rub toothpaste all over it. And whatever was on the disc, I think it was actually just a piece of schmutz that was really like caked onto the disc and the toothpaste took it right off. So uh, clean the rest of it, rinse it off with water, dried it off real good, and it works like a charm. So... I haven't done that in a very long time, so it was kind of kind of a fun throwback to clean a disc with toothpaste. Your results may vary. I'm not, you know, you're, you know what I mean. Don't hold me accountable if you put Don't toothpaste try on your stuff kids. and it doesn't work. Uh, but that's, you know, that's an old school remedy. So that is all my scores. Nice man. Well, I'm going to go into my pickups, and shamefully, I also purchased something from GameStop in the past month, and that was a copy of The Legend of Zelda's Game & Watch that I had pre-ordered several months ago. Yeah, it's one of those things where it was the only place that I could think of to pre-order it. And then also, I was a little worried about there not being enough of them, because you remember when Mario came out, there was a bit of a shortage of those. But Nintendo did the right thing and started producing a lot more of them, and now you can find them anywhere. I feel like they did a better job with the Zelda Game & Watch, in that I was at Target the other day and saw like six of them sitting in the case. So I think they've done a much better job with this, and I've heard that from people across the country. Um, A friend of ours, Chris, CRW2, on Twitter, he showed a picture, release day, and, you know, there were five or six of them in that case, and that was out in California. So I think they did a much better job with this, but really happy to have a copy. I love the original Legend of Zelda series, and just to have it on a portable game and watch is just really cool. And I already had the Mario one, so uh, it's just nice to have that in the collection. Is that just the first NES game on there? What's on there? It is the first NES game, the Zelda 2 on the NES, and then also the Game Boy Link's Awakening. Oh, okay. Plus there's a Zelda Game & Watch game on there as well. How much does this thing go for? It's about 50 bucks, so not too bad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as a little trinket, a little collector thing that you're going to have, if you really like Zelda, that's a pretty good value for a device like that. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's overpriced and, uh, you know, kind of hits that sweet spot. And for fans of the series, it's, you know, just a nice little thing to have. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to pick that up. Um, my buddy who owns the game store that I do the events through was selling his Commodore 64. And he had already sold me the keyboard, and he said, 
hey man, if you're interested in this monitor only, he's like, I'll sell it separately from the keyboard since you've already bought one from me. Plus, I'll throw in all of these games. So he threw in all of these cartridge games and all of these disc games. And it was a fantastic deal. So now I have a Commodore 64 monitor, which is just really awesome. I never had a Commodore growing up, but I'm, <sighs> I struggled to think about collecting Commodore stuff and having this thing in my collection, but uh, everything just kind of fell into my lap nicely. So it's kind of nice to have an old school, somewhat computer-like gaming system. And if you're going to get one, you know, what better one to get than a Commodore 64? I was at Retro World Expo, and if you follow my Instagram or my Twitter accounts, you'll see some of my posts. I picked up a lot of cool toys at that event, and I won't go through those here because we're talking about game pickups, but every time I go there, there's this one vendor who always has ColecoVision stuff, and I'm never able to find ColecoVision titles, and so I pick up a good number of titles from him. And a few of those included Moonsweeper, Cubert's Cubes, which is a rare one, Word Feud, and I also picked up a copy of Campaign 84, which is a political strategy game. And I picked this one up complete in box in the auction at Retro World Expo, which is always a fun event. They ran auctions on Saturday and Sunday, and our, our buddy Bigman2K picked up a lot of stuff. And uh, I think... Bill maybe picked up one or two things, but uh, yeah, it's always a fun time doing that. At that event, I also picked up a copy of Track and Field and Cannon Man on the 2600. Track and Field's a hard game to find, and it has a special controller that comes with it. Cannon Man is actually a Sears copy of Human Cannonball, and it is the most expensive Sears text copy out there. It usually goes for like 120 bucks, which is crazy because it's a variant. But I'm very happy to say that I got this one for about a fourth of the cost and was very happy to add that to the collection. And now my Sears text collection is complete. And so I am done with that, which is nice. Nice. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. And I also finished off a few more game sets that I'm not collecting everything for. I said that I hate the Nintendo 64, but I actually picked up a copy of Space Station Silicon Valley, which looks like a very cool strategy game. This game actually came out on the PS1, but I've heard very negative reviews of it on the PS1, which, you know, usually that would be my go-to. But, uh, you know, this game looks really cool. You're going to this planet, and you crash, and you control this little micro chip and you can make it bounce around and jump from animal to animal each of the animals do different things and it's sort of like a puzzle game where you have to figure stuff out to get to the next area and so it kind of scratches all those itches i have about puzzle games and you know it's quirky and fun so yeah it's definitely one sean i would say you might want to look up a video on I picked up another PS1 game. I've said several times I've picked up the last PS1 game that I'm going to get, and I mean it this time. But uh, I love the Deception games, and I realized that I didn't have a copy of Deception 3 on the PS1. It's called Deception 3 Dark Delusion. Typically a fairly pricey game at around $100 or a little more, but I was able to pick this up cheaper at Retro World Expo. My wife said to pick up a few games that maybe I wanted for Christmas so that she wouldn't have to order them. 
uh, off eBay nice. and mess them up like she's done several times. We've talked about that in the past. So uh, that one and Space Station Silicon Valley are two that I picked up for Christmas for myself. And then also at Retro World Expo, I saw a copy of the beat-em-up Undercover Cops, which is Super Famicom only. It didn't make it over here. And it's a game that I've always wanted. But the price tag on it was $350. Well, I was quickly reminded that this game was recently released by Retrobit. And I believe Limited Run Games actually sold copies of this as well. It is an official release, so it is an actual Super Nintendo game. It is licensed. It was uh, originally done by IRAM, and it's a really cool beat-em-up. I would say my only complaint about it is it's only one player, which, you know, that's kind of the drag when you're playing Final Fight. It's not the two-player version, so that's why people opt to usually get it on Sega CD so they can play two-player. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, uh, man, when you play a beat-em-up, you, you know, you want to have a partner. It's always more fun that way, so... That is a little bit of a disappointment, but I'm very, very happy to have a copy of this in my collection and even more happy to not have to pay 350 bucks for it. I missed the ordering, but my buddy who owns the retro game store near me told me he was getting in some copies and I asked him to hold me one and he did that, which is really, really awesome. So uh, uh, thank him for that. I also finished up my Super Nintendo collecting. <laughs> <laughs> this this past <laughs> month by picking up a copy of SWAT Cats. Now, this is an honest finish because this was the last official game for the Super Nintendo that I was looking for that was on my list. So I was happy to pick that up. Not a cheap title, but um, I don't have any more room for Super Nintendo games. And this one kind of rounds that collection out. I'm not going for a full set at all, but uh, you know, just getting the games that I enjoy and want to play for that. And then the last thing, Sean, drum roll, please. I finished my Game Boy North American collection by picking up the Yellow Play It Loud. So I am now done and have all the North American Game Boys except for the gold Game Boy Color Pokemon edition. I'm not a Pokemon fan, so it's just something I don't care about having. It's on the more expensive end at around 120 to 150 bucks. So I'm just not going to shell out that kind of money for it. If one were to fall in my lap cheap, I might consider picking it up. But uh, yeah, I'm really, really happy to have these. They're on display in my game room and it looks really, really cool. I'm sure you've seen a picture of it, right? I saw your collection. Yeah, that looks awesome. All the colors of the rainbow. Yeah, really big fan of the Game Boy. So that was really fun. And that's it, man. That's all my pickups. It's cool. As somebody who has a pretty deep collection of handhelds, and I do like to get multiples of the same piece of hardware, so mm -hmm. I, I fully support your, <laughs> and I celebrate your Game Boy collection. <laughs> yeah, because you're a big Vita guy, man, and I know you uh, love getting different ones, and you've imported some from Japan. I've imported a few Game Boys from Japan. They made one that was a pocket that was like the original brick, the same colors, and I got that one, and I got a pink one as well, which is really, really awesome. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this or not, but they also made a Game Boy Pocket, I believe, in pink with the Hello Kitty logo on it in Japan. It's really cool. That is cool. I already, I do have a Hello Kitty 3DS, so that itch is already scratched. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you like the cutesy stuff, so I thought I would mention it. I do. I do. Mustang Sally, 
How about we go into what have you been playing? Sounds great, man. Let's do it. All right. So I talked about Fire Emblem Echoes, Shadows of Valentia, or I forget if it's Shadow of Valentia or Shadows of Valentia, pardon me. Well, make sure you uh, get that right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is I wasn't giving this game its props in the past couple episodes because I just said, oh, it's a remake of some old Fire Emblem game. You know, I don't know what it is, but I'm just kind of playing it. I don't really know if I like it, blah, 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 blah. But I've actually gone down the Fire Emblem rabbit hole. There is actually a very robust YouTube community of Fire Emblem players and fans and YouTube channels. So I went down that rabbit hole. I got the full history of the Fire Emblem franchise. I found out that I am what's known as an Awakening baby because Awakening was the game on the 3DS where the developer was told by Nintendo, this is your last chance or we're shutting down this franchise. Um, And that was when they introduced some elements that made the game a little bit easier. That was very controversial with the old school fans, but it turned out to be a raging success. And that's where I came into the franchise. And the old school people call people like me awakening babies, which is, it's fine. (laughs) I'm totally with that. One of the things is- I'm still in the sleep baby. So I've never played (laughs) Fire Emblem game. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the whole thing is permadeath, right? So you're playing a strategy RPG where- If a character dies, they're dead for Mm -hmm. good for the whole game. So you can actually play yourself into a corner where you have to start all over again. I think that's a really, really cool mechanic, but I'm not interested in playing a game like that. (laughs) It's just quite simply, if somebody were to die in my party, I would start the battle over if one person died. And I know it would take me, you know, several years to beat a game playing it that way. So fun fact, Awakening is actually not the first game that you can turn off permadeath. There was actually a title on the Nintendo DS that didn't come out in the States. I may play that one because I have a fan translation on one of my flashcards of it, and you can turn off permadeath in that game as well. So anyway, all this is to say that 
I kind of gained an appreciation for Fire Emblem Echoes, which is a remake of the second Fire Emblem game, which was on the Famicom, which was called Fire Emblem Gaiden. And this game, when it came out, a lot of people say that it was kind of like the Legend of Zelda 2. It was kind of like Super Mario Brothers 2 US, where it was just like a completely different thing from the original game. And it was very weird and did a bunch of experimental things. And at the time, people were not too kind to it, but over the years has garnered a cult following, so much so to the point that Nintendo remade it a couple of years ago on the 3DS, and that's what I was playing. And somewhere along the lines, it really, really got its hooks into me. When I was talking about it previously, I said, oh, I'm only like seven or eight hours into it. I don't know if I like it or whatever. Something clicked and I was just like obsessed with it. I put over 50 hours into this game. I beat the hell out of it. I <laughs> I got the DLC. I played all the DLC missions. I got all the DLC items. I overclassed all of my characters. I steamrolled the final boss, which is, you know, these games are not made for you to be able to do that, but this is one of the rare Fire Emblem titles that has uh, grinding available in it. So you can really grind your way into being a powerful party. But this is a great game. It does have some elements that aren't in Fire Emblem games that you might be used to. It has missing some elements that those games have, but I would recommend it to anybody. Obviously, the old school fans have already played it. It's a couple of years old, but if you played Awakening and you want to try something a little bit different or you played Fates or even... I haven't played Three Houses yet. That's the one on the Switch, but I've heard good things about it. Uh, but anyway, Echoes was just a pleasant surprise once I just kind of realized what I was doing and just really got into the game. Awesome, awesome game. Next, I played a game that was recommended to me by Duke Togo. He told cool. me about this game called Cosmic Star Heroin. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, we were talking about games that Limited Run was going to put out. And he said, oh, I'm really interested in this Cosmic Star Heroin. And I was like, oh, I never heard of that. I looked it up and it looked like it was right up my alley. It's in the style of an old RPG. It's heavily influenced by like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy. It has elements of more modern games like Mass Effect. And it's a sci-fi adventure turn-based RPG. Really a fun game. So a couple of years ago, whenever it came out, I did order it from Limited Run on the Switch. And just recently, I decided to play it. It's pretty good. It's... Uh, one of those things like when people try to make these games that are like an homage to these older games like Chrono Trigger, it's hard to escape the fact that you'll never make a game as good as Chrono Trigger. <laughs> and whether whether that's yeah. rose tinted glasses or whatever, you know, we did an episode on Chrono Trigger. It it really is just an all time classic. So mm -hmm. when you try to make a game that's like that, it's not gonna be an eleven out of ten all time classic. But this game was good, you know, it's like a seven out of ten, eight out of ten. But it's kinda hard to escape those feelings. For me, it was the writing. Some of the writing was just too modern, had a, some language in it that was like, this doesn't make me feel like I'm playing an old school RPG. Like this feels like some of the writing was done by like a hipster 20 year old in, you know, whatever year it was, 2016 <laughs> or 2017 or whatever. And it was really apparent to me. But I just like the game. I like, you know, it's a sci-fi, like Blade Runner-esque kind of environment. You go to different planets. Uh, the story's okay. You know, you got different characters that you can use in your party that you discover throughout the game. 
And the battle system is pretty unique where you have like a set of eight skills that you can use. Some of them you can use repeatedly. Some of them you can use only once and then you have to rest a turn to recharge them. So there's a lot of strategy involved. I played it on the normal difficulty. And one thing I noticed was that the final bosses and there's like a series of four bosses at the end were absolute pushovers. (laughs) And, you know, I like easy games. I like games that are shorter or on the easier side. But like the difficulty of this game was kind of uneven at times. Like there were some enemies that were like, whoa, that guy just kicked my ass and I'm not sure why. Um, And then... To get to the final boss, which again, it was like a four stage thing and all four stages, I kept thinking, oh, now he's really going to kick my ass. You know what I mean? And it's just like, nope, just I took him out, roll credits. So that was that was interesting to me. But good game. Good game. I would recommend it. Nice. Um, My wife and I finished It Takes Two. Yay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I talked a lot about this. Um, I think the ending was kind of interesting this is a game that has a lot of boss battles in it and this is a minor spoiler here but there's no final boss the game just kind of ends so i found that to be kind of interesting but i get it a lot of games either have just kind of a chintzy cut quick time event we've talked about those kind of games before Mm -hmm. or you know final bosses are kind of a thing that a lot of games don't have nowadays so it was okay and then again like the writing again and the characters that i didn't really like and they left it kind of ambiguous like the whole thing is this couple that's divorcing and because of their daughter they you know they go through this adventure and it's like i don't know i just you know my wife and i have been married for almost 15 years a divorce is not something that should be considered by married couples, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. My wife even was like, this is making me uncomfortable. Like, they just keep using the D word. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I feel like culturally, it's something that's just kind of like, oh, well, we don't see eye to eye and, you know, whatever. We're getting divorced and they have a child. And it's just like, this whole thing just makes me really uncomfortable. And then at the end, it's just like okay, these two characters bonded on their adventure and then it's like almost ambiguous or they have they decided to not get a divorce. They don't really like set it in stone. This would be a fascinating game to do for a playthrough, but I'm, I don't want to play it again, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> so. I mean, are you like that when you watch movies as well? If that topic comes up, is that a deal breaker for you or is it different when you watch a movie? Uh, it all depends, man. I'm my wife and I are so touchy on certain things in media. Yeah. Even even dude with Squid Game, I think one of the problems with Squid Game is there are things that, like, I don't like desensitization of gun violence. Mm-hmm. So in Squid Game, there's tons of gun violence, and I don't think people appreciate that there's a level of desensitization that's going on there that makes me very uncomfortable. Animal cruelty makes me very uncomfortable. So like, yeah, uh, traditional family values (laughs) being thrown out the window (laughs) kind of makes me uncomfortable. So, um, it is a thing. I got you. Um, You know, I don't back away from stuff like that, but I feel like when it's in your face too much, you know, and it's just constantly banged into your head, 
I feel like that makes it more uncomfortable and I don't like stuff like that. But it's when it's sort of a background thing in a film or, or something like that, it doesn't bother me as much because I feel like it's quite the reality. What's the rate at now? It's like 75, 80% now. It's, it's crazy how that's gone up so much since we were young, you know? Yeah, I think those numbers are a little played with. Uh, A lot of it has to do with people who get divorced multiple times and they're just adding to the stats there. But again, with this game, it was like tonally these two characters go through these traumatic adventures with each other and they go from, oh, I think they're going to fall back in love to then they're arguing again. Then, oh, they're going to fall back. And I understand there's dynamics with relationships like that, but it, it was just like... I don't know. I just felt like I was just getting harangued by the whole thing. And just too much push and pull then, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gotcha. So so anyway, we finished It Takes Two. We were very happy to be done with that game. Already sold it on eBay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we got into Earth Defense Force 5, which is the, you did. <laughs> the last Earth Defense Force game that my wife and I needed to play together. We're enjoying it quite a bit. We're only like 10 or 12 missions into it. It's good. It's the same old good EDF stuff. Took a little bit to get into it. One thing I think is that the writing, I'm not sure if there's like different writers on this one. Same developer. And a lot of it is, is it lost in translation? Like how self-aware are they is a big question. But the writing is just so bad. And I mean, it's supposed to be bad. It's an Earth Defense Force game. But with this one, it sounds like a kid wrote it. It's just bad. <laughs> so, But the game is fun. I'm still playing as a wing diver. They changed some of the mechanics. So it's interesting to like when you shoot a projectile weapon, now it kind of pushes you back a little bit. Like there's a recoil from the weapon that they've never had before. So that's interesting. If you're standing on top of something, you could get actually knocked off by the recoil of your weapon. So stuff like that is interesting and takes some getting used to, but that's what I'm currently playing on Couch Co-op with my wife. On the PlayStation Vita, I'm playing a game called Class of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel. This is an anime RPG by Falcom, I believe, and I've never played a Falcom game before, but they're very highly regarded for the Legend of Heroes series, for the Ease series. Trails of Cold Steel is a series that is also very highly regarded and uh, it's a game that I like but is really trying my patience with the cutscenes. There is so so much text in this game and I'm the kind of person that when I play a game I don't like to skip text or cutscenes but with this one I finally threw in the towel. I was in the middle of some cutscene and I was just holding the circle button like just skip all this. I can't take it anymore. So much text, so much text. It might as well be a visual novel. But the dungeons are great. The side quests are kind of fun. The main quest is kind of fun. It's just damn, every time you go to do something, you get like a 10-minute, 50 pages of text you got to read and it's just like It's so overwritten, it's unbelievable. So it's really trying my patience. I want to stick with it because on a certain level, I'm enjoying it a lot, but I'm not sure, man. I'm hoping I have the same effect that I had with Fire Emblem Echoes, which is I'm not sure if I'm into it, but it gets its hooks in me at some point. But uh, it's not going to be much longer that I'm going to tolerate this amazing amount of text. (laughs) (laughs) 
And lastly, I'm going. I'm going a little long winded here. I beg your pardon, but um. Oh, I'm playing, used to it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but playing VR again when it gets dark and cooler in the fall. Love playing VR. That's the best time of year to do it, in my opinion. So I've told you I picked up some of those games. Everybody's golf VR. That's pretty fun. I'm really bad at golf. And I've been having flashbacks of our golf tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, this game is just as hard as any of those golf games that we played. But it is fun to swing the move controller to drive a, a ball down range. You know, you're in your house in the dark at night, but you're actually on a golf course. It's very idyllic and nice, but... Um, it's hard and I suck at it. So I get kind of <laughs> mad at it. It does have an option though, where you can play just a set of three holes. So you don't have to play a full course. So it is kind of cool to just jump in, play three holes and then quit and play something else. So I do like that. And then I played a bunch of other VR stuff. I won't go into it here. Actually, what I would do is recommend my blog entry, which will be up by the time this podcast goes up called VR Season, where I just did a little, a couple of reviews of games that I was playing. Another game I started to play was Until You Fall, which is a kind of medieval slash cyberpunk sword game. And it really takes elements from like Punch Out, where you have to block and then block and then slice. It really reminds me of like a Wii game in a really good way. Mm -hmm. And that one is kind of a roguelike. So you'll play a couple levels, you keep going until you fall, hence the title. And then you go back to the hub world, you can gear up, upgrade your stuff, and then go back into it. So I like it. But um, what I'm really into is Blood and Truth, which is I should be done with it today. I, how long to beat has it at five hours? And I feel like I've had two good sessions with it that were probably two hours a piece. This is like a crime drama action game where you're part of this English crime family and your father passes away. So then another crime family tries to take over your family and it's just a gangster kind of thing. You know, it's, it's all about the gun play. So you have these weapons, uh, guns that you shoot with the move controllers and it, it's really cool. It's a really good game. The graphics are awesome. You really feel like you're in the world. The only thing is it's like the drama of it doesn't really hit because again, I'm looking at it as like, you guys are a bunch of gangsters. So when somebody gets killed, who's like a main character, like that's like, what are the wages of sin? Like, what did you think was going to happen? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I have an interesting take on the things that happen in the game, but I just love actually, like I'm a big fan of cold war arms. So like when I got an AK, I was like, Whoa, I was like holding it in front of me, like looking at like the accuracy of the parts of the gun. And I was like, hey, they did a pretty good job. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that game blood and truth, it's really good. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to finish that up here tonight, I guess. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. Nice man. Well, as far as myself, I have not been playing any digital games other than <laughs> our monthly playthroughs. There is a reason for that. If you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you will see that I've started dabbling in the art field. I am doing this pixel art where I go to thrift stores and pick up 
prints on the cheap. I try not to use paintings and stuff like that because I just don't want to go over someone's original artwork. It just kind of makes me feel bad, and I feel like, you know, if that could go in somebody's house, that's great. So I take a lot of prints, and I do these perler bead sprites on top of the prints and, you know, put it in context. I usually get the ideas when I'm going around the thrift store, I'll see a print and it'll just kind of stand out to me. Something will just pop in my head. And I'm like, you know what? This would be cool. For instance, it's kind of a funny story. But yesterday I posted something on social media and I had actually gone to a thrift store and there was a print of this like lady on a bed looking very seductive with her arms behind her head and it was kind of embarrassing to go up to the counter and pay for this but uh (laughs) it just popped in my head you know it would be cool to like do a leisure suit larry you know piece of pixel art and so i ended up doing that yesterday and it turned out really well it's really funny but uh all this kind of started from the uh, outdoor show I did in Winston, and I had donated a piece that I had done for my daughter. It was this Caterpie pixel art where I had this print of this tree branch with these leaves on it, and I put a Caterpie on it. People saw it, and they were like, oh my god, I love that. Do you do these often? And I was like, you know, no, I've done a few for myself, but I've never sold any. And the guy I put the show on with owns a store. He was like, if you want to do some of those and put them in my store, I'll be happy to put them up and sell them for you to make my place look good, you know, just having them up. And so we worked out a deal. And um, so far, I've probably done about 27 pieces. And I've put a lot of those up in his store. And um, I've sold three pieces so far, which that's pretty good, you know, within the last month and a half or so. And just trying to get my name out there and... um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm really, really enjoying myself putting this stuff together, but it is kind of eating into my game time. But for me, it's something that really helps with my anxiety and I'm enjoying quite a lot. You know, speaking of that, it's funny, um, the name that I've decided to go with, and I'm working right now on branding this, but I've decided to go with the name Jittery Pixels. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, if you've met me before... I suffer from tremors. Um, I have really bad hand tremors that were inherited. My dad has them. My brother has them. My daughter, I've noticed, has them. And when people meet me for the first time, they sort of notice it. And for a while, it was embarrassing. And I used to get upset about people mentioning, you know, like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your hands? And it really irritated me for a while. And then I just started having this self depreciating humor about it, you know, where I was like, let's have a little bit of fun with this. It's not a bad thing. I understand people are just curious and I shouldn't get upset about it. And so I decided to, you know, name this project Jittery Pixels about my hands and doing beadwork is intense and it's tough trying to put these small things on these boards. A lot of times, you know, I I mess things up trying to put them in there or trying to use a pair of tweezers to get them out. You know, my wife will be like, can I help you with this piece? And I'm like, no, I I want to finish this myself. So it kind of gives me peace of mind in doing this. And it's kind of where the name comes from. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in looking at some of these pieces and maybe even purchasing these pieces, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at 
the single banana on Twitter, and I think it's just single banana on Instagram. But I should be branding this soon, and you know, start looking for jittery pixels, which you know I'll post these Twitter and Instagram pages to follow as well. And uh, I'm gonna start working on a website for it too. So uh, yeah, man, that's what I've been doing. It's been taking up a lot of my time and keeping me from playing games this month. Awesome. I'm going to register jitterypixels.com as soon as we get off this call and you're going to have to buy it from me. <laughs> I haven't checked to see if that's out there yet, but I'm thinking about just doing some sort of WordPress site or something like that that I don't really have to pay for and, and keeping it kind of low key, you know? Yeah, dude, your work is really awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate I, it. I can appreciate a good side hustle. Like I said, I've been trying to make some kind of side hustle catch fire. I have, you know, my music going on. I I started a t-shirt shop, so I I know exactly, you know, what that's like. And you've already been pretty successful with yours, so I couldn't be prouder. Your work is awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, I know a lot of people do this sort of artwork with the pixels and stuff, but I found these specific type of perler beads that actually melt into perfect squares. And so it's different from what a lot of people do with the rounded ones. And it looks a little more cohesive. It doesn't have the holes in it. So yeah, it's been a fun thing to do. And, uh, you know, just going to thrift shops and coming up with these ideas on the fly. I get so excited, you know, when I see things in these paintings. And uh, I recently did a Texas Chainsaw Massacre one, and I had purchased this print of this worn down farmhouse. And I thought it was so cool. And I didn't have an idea for it, but I was like, man, I have to pick this up. You know, I have to get it. I know I'm going to figure something out. And it's become one of my better pieces. Uh, it's really cool. And I'm hoping that one of our good friends is going to be purchasing this from me and he can have it in his house. So I'm really excited about that.
as we get into our main topic of discussion, which is a couple, not a couple, but three Shinobi titles for the Sega Genesis, we'll kick it off with our question of the month, which comes from you, Rich. This is a good one. As a kid, the single banana always wanted to be a ninja when he grew up. What ridiculous thing did you want to be as a youngster? And before we go into it, as always, you can participate in the question of the month by following at RFG Playcast on Twitter, at Sean Gray on Instagram, joining our Discord, which is linked at the front page of RFGeneration.com, or following the playthrough thread, which I forgot to post the question in the playthrough thread this month. I'm sorry about that. But let's go over to Twitter. Let's start with Mrs. Q-Dog. She said, Wonder Woman, I would look so cool wearing the cuff bracelets. <laughs> I wanted to be able to deflect any bullets coming my way with a gif of Linda Carter deflecting yeah. bullets. <sighs> Yeah. Linda Carter, man, my childhood obsession. <laughs> Just a drool over Linda Carter is Wonder Woman. Yeah, she's yeah, gorgeous. Awesome. Did you ever see uh, Super Troopers 2? I did not. Oh, surprisingly good sequel, and she's one of the main characters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the first one, man. I know uh, I know oh. that's like not a popular opinion. Most people love yeah. those films. I think I probably just need to go back and watch it. You know, it's probably one of those things where I just wasn't in the right mood, you know? Yeah, it's such a cheaply made film. And if you can kind of see through that, it's hard to unsee. But anyway, let's move on here. Buried on Mars, Kevin said, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster and I still do. Never give up on your dreams. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> Next, we have Geardo211. He said, I wanted to be a naval aviator, F-14 pilot, ended up in the Army. <laughs> and there was a gif on there, right, with Top Gun, the volleyball scene, yeah. <laughs> a little slider and Iceman. Yeah, great. Classic. At CollectorCast, Chris Duke Togo, he said, astronaut, I was born too late to watch people walk on the moon, but Space Fever was everywhere as a kid with Star Wars and Star Trek. And also Space Camp. You called them out for lying about not witnessing the moon landing. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we're the two oldest guys, and so we're always busting each other's balls. And I can always say with confidence that he's a little older than I am, so I have to bust him. That just reminds me of something my kid said. My five-year-old was talking to my 10-year-old the other day, and my five-year-old said, I'm going to be older than you one day. And my 10-year-old said, no, you're not. I'm always going to be older than you. And my five-year-old replied, not when you die. <laughs> oh, fair point. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's a thinking man. Yeah, I saw something. I forget where I saw it, but it was just a, one of those like truisms that you don't really think about is that the number of people in the world who are older than you is always getting smaller. That's true. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Wild Bill from the Collector Cast. He said, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle to the extent that I went searching for remnants of the ooze. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so good. Uh, next, we have Kelsey. Three for three. Krabby. Yep. We got the whole Collector Cast crew. Thank you, guys. Uh, he said, Paleontologist. Nice. And he has a gift here from. I believe, what is that? Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, uh, uh, that's Jurassic Park, man. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. And lastly on Twitter, we got Corey Robertson. 
Not a very off-the-wall answer, but he said I wanted to be a fireman. I almost always walked around as a kid wearing a fireman's hat and coat. My mom always caught me outside spraying everything with the water hose. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Sounds like something I would have done as a kid. Oh, that's funny. Uh, All right, let's hop over to Discord. Game Boy Guru, Josh from the Shoot the Corecast, says, Not as ridiculous as being a ninja, but I wanted to be an astronaut not realizing the insanely tiny fraction of people who can actually achieve that. Uh, Next, we have Shane. He said, I still have my handwritten school report where I said I wanted to be a programmer, working at IBM, making 40K a year, and drive a black Corvette. (laughs) (laughs) IBM started its routine of laying off and rehiring employees with fewer benefits while I was in high school. So I was never going to IBM, but I did become a programmer. Don't think I'd ever buy a black Corvette, but I bought a black Subaru STI. So Shane, in a way, nice. he, he realized his dreams. An yeah. Interesting answer. And lastly, on the Discord, we have Corkman77. He said, I wanted to be an archaeologist and find amazing treasure like Indiana Jones. Yep, absolutely. Um, so that's it. Nothing on Instagram. And like I said, I forgot to post it on the forum. So apologize for that. I'm afraid I don't have too much of a crazy answer for this one either. I probably wanted to be a WWF wrestler when I was a kid. <laughs> nice. Uh, I was into that when I was very young. But when I was old enough to kind of know what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wanted to be an FBI agent, if you can believe that. Yeah. I actually studied, uh, didn't study a lot, but I was like an avid reader of books about the history of the FBI. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, you know, it was always this like historical mystery who Deep Throat was in the Watergate scandal. But because I had read so many books about the FBI, I pretty much knew it was Mark Felt. And that was a revelation that was not made public until actually kind of recently. So mm-hmm. it just goes to show, like, if you get into something and do your research, there's knowledge to be uncovered. So I always thought that was kind of interesting. I was just into, like, X-Files and Twin Peaks, basically, <laughs> and thought it would be cool to be an FBI agent. Now, like, any kind of law enforcement is the furthest thing away from my <laughs> mind as a career choice. So uh, I always thought that was very interesting. So you came up with the question, yours was Ninja. Did you ask uh, the misses, or do you have any other input on this one? Absolutely. Uh, A little bit of both. It's funny, growing up, I had an older cousin, and my um, great-grandparents had a place at the lake, uh, which basically had campers on it. And so my cousin and I would always stay in this un-air-conditioned camper together for like the entire summer. Well, we were just kind of wacky, you know, and just obsessed with the same things. He was a preacher's son. And so, of course, he always had all the greatest rap music. You know, that's (laughs) where I found bands like Houdini and Run DMC and Slick Rick. So we listened to all that stuff. But our other obsession that we bonded on was ninjas. And he would always have these ninja magazines. 
we would just find household things and make like grappling hooks and throwing stars and all this stuff. I mean, I was just obsessed with ninjas. My dad would take me to the drive-in movie theater to see ninja flicks when my mom was out of town. And I would always rent ninja movies. My dad was like, I hated when your mom was out of town because I would take you to a movie and you would just kick the shit out of me all night long, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, yeah, it was a pretty big obsession. But, uh, yeah, I did ask the missus as well. And uh, she said that when she was a kid, she always wanted to be one of those flying trapeze artists in the circus, which is hilarious. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But it's hilarious because if we go hiking, we've been like to Yosemite and um, climbed to the top of Yosemite Falls. And she will not get anywhere near the edge like she's terrified she has a huge fear of heights i'm the same way you know just to think about her being in the flying trapeze is just hilarious but uh you know as a kid you know she would go to the circus and it's just something she enjoyed watching how about your wife did you ask her <laughs> she wanted to be a b hollywood scream girl <laughs> and I know you can appreciate this answer awesome. as a horror movie fan, but she said from when she was a kid, she wanted to be in horror movies, running around, screaming, acting scared. I love it, man. <laughs> I love it. Because, you know, a lot of the people that were in horror movies at the time, some of them will embrace it and come to conventions and stuff like that. But there are a lot of them that who just want to forget it and won't even talk to yeah. people that do podcasts and stuff like that, that want to talk to them about the films they were in. So, uh, yeah, that's so awesome. I would love to be in a horror film someday. Yeah, so this question was inspired by a trio of Sega Genesis Shinobi titles. We played Shadow Dancer, Revenge of Shinobi, and Shinobi 3 Return of the Ninja. This is your game, so I don't want to really take over the, the wheel here, but I'll just name our participants was you, Single Banana, me, Grego, Sadie One, of course, Mr. Stubbs and Disposed Hero, and Metal Fro. So, yeah, Rich, if you want to get into a little bit of why you chose these games, if you want to hit the development story, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, well, uh, the Shinobi games are something that I've always enjoyed. It's uh, a fun Sega flagship franchise, and especially on the Sega Genesis where they put out three games. We hadn't played anything on the Genesis in a while, and so I thought these would be good games to get some really good participation in. The first time I played Shinobi growing up had to be in the arcade. And what's really cool is recently they had a Shinobi arcade machine at Retro World Expo. So I was actually able to play that a few weeks ago, which was awesome. It's just a fun little left-to-right hack-and-slash game, and um, the arcade game still holds up to this day. The original Shinobi for the arcade was released in 1987, and this franchise follows the trials and tribulations of Sega flagship hero Joe Musashi. All three of the titles that we played this month were released on the Sega Genesis and the Mega Drive. They had some alternate names on the Mega Drive, but I'll just be talking about the Genesis games here. The Revenge of Shinobi was released in 1989 and is the sequel to the original game. It was released for the Genesis individually, but was also on the Mega Games 2 and Mega Drive 6-pack compilations for the Genesis. It was on the Sega Classics Arcade Collection for the Sega CD, the Sega Smash Pack for the Dreamcast and PC compilations, and was also released digitally on all three 7th generation consoles. 
We also played Shadow Dancer, The Secret of Shinobi, which was released in 1989 in the arcade and then 1990 on the Mega Drive and Genesis. It was also released on the PS2 and PSP on the Sega Games Collection and on the Sega Genesis Classics compilation for Windows, PS4, Xbox One, and the Switch. And then the final game we played was Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master, which was released in 1993. It was also released on the Genesis, PS2, and PSP as part of the Sega Games Collection and on the Xbox 360 and PS3 as a part of Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection. So yeah, that's it, man. And I wanted to point out that my intention was for us to play these games in order as far as they were released. But I had a little snafu, and we actually played Shadow Dancer first, The Revenge of Shinobi second, and then Shinobi three. We should have played The Revenge of Shinobi first because it was released in 1989. But where I got confused is that Shadow Dancer, the sequel to Shinobi, was released earlier in 1989, but only for arcade, and was subsequently released in 1990 for the Mega Drive Genesis. So I did make that mistake, and when we talk about differences in the games, improvements and such, just keep in mind that the second game we played was actually the first released, and the first game we played was the second release, Sean. So uh, yeah, that's it. Well done. Um, And I'll just go into, you know, sometimes we talk about our histories with uh, when we do a retro game. Absolutely. I don't have any with this uh, series. Wow. Okay. So I know about it. I know it was always in the popular consciousness. It's not like it's something I've never heard of. And as you mentioned, some of these games are on every single Genesis compilation that's ever come out. So I'm sure I've dabbled in them before, but this is not something I have nostalgia for. It was from my childhood. I was a Nintendo kid growing up, so I didn't have Genesis until uh, adulthood anyway. So same. It's not something I've ever been into. So it was interesting to kind of dive into the series. I also played just the first level or two of the original Shinobi on the Master System, just to kind of nice, get a feel for the roots of these sequels that we're playing. So, mm-hmm. um, and I should disclose Shadow Dancer is the only one I finished, and the other two I played hopefully enough to have a decent conversation. I got got the gist of the mechanics and whatnot, so just putting my cards on the table there. <laughs> yeah, Shadow Dancer was the only one I completed as well, man. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the issues that we had with the games and maybe the reasons that we didn't complete those, which... Uh, you know, should be rather interesting. It's going to be fun to get your take too. It is not playing this series as well, because a lot of times we'll play games that you've played before, but very rarely do we play a game that I've played before and you haven't played. So this should be a fun conversation. Well, just to kind of go over my history with the game, uh, as I mentioned, when I was younger, I had played the Shinobi game in the arcade. This was one of the games that was at a convenience store near my house, which my grandfather's friends owned, and they would always give me a handful of quarters when I would go there. And, uh, you know, I got to play Shinobi. I was horrible at it as a kid. It's a really, really tough game. But revisiting it recently at Retro World Expo, I gained a a higher appreciation for the game, and it's a really cool title. All right, Sean, should we get into the story of the game? Story in 60 seconds. You're a f***ing ninja wrecking face. How cool is that? 
The end. <laughs> that was story in six seconds. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much the premise of every game in this series. Now, there is kind of a small story attached to it just to give you some sort of background. But really, I mean, it's just an action game. You really don't need a background for this. It reminds me a lot of Final Fight in that you're basically like a ninja cop. And every game in the series on the Genesis has a gang-related plot. Revenge of Shinobi and Shinobi 3, you're fighting against the Zed crime organization. And then in Shadow Dancer, you're battling against the Union Lizard Cult. And so, yeah, this really isn't a series where story plays a big role. It's mainly about the gameplay, right, Sean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was... I was not really paying attention to any kind of story. <laughs> yeah, they're basically in the opening credits, you know, and maybe at the end of the game. Yeah. I like that the lizard people are one of the gangs that you fight against. <laughs> <laughs> the Union Lizard. Yeah. <laughs> Reminded um, me of that band. What was it called? Saigon Kick? Didn't they have like a lizard for a mascot? Oh, that's interesting. Um <laughs> One of the things that caught me when I, like in Shadow Dancer on the title screen, it shows the Twin Towers in the twilight. It's a beautiful, uh, yeah. beautiful splash screen. And it gave me like Parasite Eve vibes of the Twin Towers mm-hmm. still being there. And <laughs> I just kind of created, like in my own head, I'm like, wow, cool, Ninja in New York City. That's all I oh, need yeah. to know. You know what well, I mean? Well, if it's gang violence, it's always going to be New York City, right? <laughs> yeah, Everything right. is set there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So do you want to go ahead and get into the gameplay? Yeah. And again, I, I want to say I played these games emulated on the Wii using the Genesis GX emulator, performed flawlessly, and I employed some cheat codes where I had to. Nice. I, I beat Shadow Dancer almost without using cheat codes oh, but that final level with room one room two oh. room three and you can only use your special attack once i just i couldn't hack it so yeah i unfortunately had to had to close the game out by putting on some cheat codes but i did give it an honest effort but that's that's the version i played i know you played original hardware so i don't even have I to did. ask um, I actually don't own a Sega Genesis. That, that's something I stopped collecting for a long time ago because those clamshells take up too much damn space on the shelves. So um, I love them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like cardboard, so they're perfect for me. Yeah, no, I actually I have an appreciation for that packaging for the reasons that you're thinking of. It's just a beautiful, durable, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to last a long time, but they're, you know, an inch and a half thick, you know, <laughs> versus <laughs> like uh, a, just a cartridge or a CD case or whatever. So, yeah, I own maybe a handful of loose Sega Genesis games, but I don't have a Genesis, so I can't even play them. Uh, so, yeah, gameplay. Action platformers, right? Yep. Hack and slash action platformer. All right. Graphics and environments. <laughs> um. <laughs> Slow down now. There's a little more to it. <laughs> well, let's um, maybe start off talking about the difficulty of these games. I think that's probably a good place to start. 
I would say these games are fairly difficult. Uh, the first two games, it, it's a one hit, right? One hit and then you die. The third game, they actually put a life bar in, which I thought was interesting and really cool. So I did like that dynamic of the third game. We had mentioned that you and I both had completed Shadow Dancer. And I'm just curious as far as why you think that that's the one you completed, because I have some thoughts on that as well. I stuck with it because I figured, oh, like this is a really short game. I forget. I think I looked up how many like levels there were and mm-hmm. the levels are very short. Mm-hmm. So I thought if if I stick this out, I could beat this game. I was wrong, but, uh-huh. I, you know, <laughs> I, I thought, I mean, I beat it, but with cheats, like I said. Yeah. So I did like the dog. You yeah. Right. You knew I was going to like the dog <laughs> and I did. I love that mechanic, man. So strong. Yeah, but I thought, well, this game is like pretty simple, but as far as the difficulty goes, one of the things that got me is that there are a lot of enemies that damage you by just jumping on you. Oh, yeah. There were a few things that would make this game like a lot better, quote unquote. And again, I say that with a grain of salt because I'm not a game developer and I'm, I'm not back in 1990 either. So I wish you had a life bar in Shadow Dancer and I wish you had some kind of dodge or dash move because mm-hmm. your guy moves so slow that it's really hard to dodge anything. And there's the red ninjas jump around like crazy. And if they jump on your head, they damage you. And there's, to my knowledge, no way to avoid that. And that was very frustrating. Yeah, and they have an odd hitbox too, right? I mean... Oh my God. The bosses especially, tiny, tiny hitboxes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, with the jumping ones though, I I feel like... Sometimes I felt like I would be past where the sword was supposed to hit me and I would still die. And other times I would think, oh, they jumped right on me and I wouldn't die. Because, you know, this game has an interesting mechanic where it is a one-hit death. However, if you bump into an enemy, it will do a knockback, but it won't kill you, right? Correct, yeah. But when that happened, oh, I got lucky there. Yeah. And then the guy would just jump on me anyway and kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned that final level with those rooms. There's a room that is just filled with those jumping ninja guys and it is just nearly impossible to get through but i watched some playthroughs on it because i was getting frustrated in that area as well and there's a lot of people that just jump through the game and just will just jump into these people and it would just knock them back and they'll just keep jumping and they'll knock them back again and you know it'll just kind of push them through the room which is kind of odd I deployed that strategy a couple times. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. Because <laughs> you can kind of like, if you just go and like inch your way and spawn like one at a time, it's excruciating, especially if you're just going to die anyway. So sometimes mm-hmm. I would just get frustrated. I'm, I'm going to run through it and jump over them. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't master the technique or anything, but yeah interesting mechanic of the whole like bumping and knocking back thing i guess it's better when you have one hit kills you don't want anything that touches you to kill you that would have made the game even worse and i say that like even worse it's not a bad game by any right you know by any stretch it's just like ooh, a few little tweaks and i would have enjoyed this a lot more yeah i can i can definitely agree with that so um with the gameplay i feel like we also need to talk about the different types of attacks that you could do in this game one was a close-up attack which would use your katana and if you were close to an enemy you could use that but 
the other weapon and you're almost feel like your primary weapon in the game were uh Sirkins, right? The, the throwing yeah. stars. In all the games, what's I don't want to say neat, but can be frustrating is that you have a limited amount of them. Now you can go into the option screen, which I did, and you can increase the amount that you can have in the game, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it does bring sort of a different dynamic to the game, especially if you're playing it on a harder difficulty setting. Yeah. And I, (laughs) one of the, one of the things I did when I was playing Revenge and Shinobi 3 was to just make those infinite because it's like yeah. I need I need to really lean on the ranged attacks because man these guys are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I found myself leaning on um you know the ranged weaponry as well. So uh yeah, that was awesome and you you mentioned the dog in the other game and it's a really cool mechanic in that you make the dog run at the enemy, but you have to do it at a certain point or the dog will get injured, which I'm sure made you very sad. I was worried about yeah. that in playing this game. And he devolves into a puppy, which is yeah. very interesting. <laughs> I guess if you're going to harm a dog, to devolve it into a puppy is the best way to do it, right? It's the least violent path. So, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, you have to time those things correctly. And the other thing is the dog does not do any damage to the enemy. It basically just holds them up so that you can attack the enemy, which I thought was rather neat. I I actually liked that he couldn't do any damage. It made the game a lot more interesting. It made it a lot more difficult, but also you had to implement some sort of strategy when you did it, especially if you had multiple enemies on the screen, right? Yeah, definitely a cool mechanic. And I agree with you. It would have been too much of a nerf if you could just send the dog to kill all the enemies. Like, I don't think that would have worked well. So I I like that he's just like scuffling with them and you have to go in and make the kill. It makes a lot of sense. Right. And just to clarify, the dog's name is Yamato and he is only in the game Shadow Dancer. So the other games you are going through it alone Still interesting, but I, I don't know. There's something about that dog mechanic that I really loved. It's games with dogs, dude. They're always awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Pets make things better. Yeah. Always, right? <laughs> so one of the mechanics that didn't show up in Shinobi 3, I know of, and I believe was in the Revenge of Shinobi. I'm not positive about Shadow Dancer was the hostage mechanic. You know, we see this in a lot of games where you have to go through and when you rescue hostages, you know, you can earn bonus points or some sort of other advantage in the game. Or in other games, you have to rescue all the hostages or you cannot leave the level. So it, you know, makes for a very interesting mechanic. But I did notice in one of the games, and again, I can't remember which one, so this might have to be one of our corrections, but when you rescued male hostages, you got points, and then when you rescued the female hostages, you got power-ups, which was pretty awesome. Instead of like a throwing star, it was sort of like a uh, bomb projectile, right? Okay. I didn't even notice that. Like, I noticed you got different rewards for the hostages. I didn't realize it was male and female would give you different things. That's an interesting point there. Yeah, I didn't realize it when I was playing the game either. And, you know, that was basically through doing some research. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat, you know. Maybe if I would have read the instruction manual, I would have figured that out. But, you know, I thought that was a fairly neat mechanic. And most of the time you would just get an item. And I think 
at least in the third game by picking up items. It might have been like a POW block or something like that in the third game that you would pick up and it would give you additional power, which is kind of cool. And a lot of times it would only last for a certain amount of time or a certain number of circuits that you threw. I would just throw into, I was playing the original Shinobi, the hostages were in that game too. So yes, it was they carried are. forward from the original game. Yeah, absolutely. I stopped off at the quicksack for some beer and cigarettes. The old man took my money as he stirred at my Corvette. He said I had one just like her son in 1963. Till a man down at the bank took her from me. Oh, she was hotter than a two-dollar pistol. She was the fastest thing around. Turned every head in town She was built and fond to handle son I'm glad that you dropped in She reminds me of the one I loved back then Handed him my keys and said, here, take her for a spin The old man scratched his head and then he looked at me and grinned He said, son, you just don't understand It ain't the car I want It's the brunette in your vet that turns me on I had one that was hotter than a two-dollar pistol She was the fastest thing around Long and lean every young man's dream She turned every head in town She was built and fun to handle sun I'm glad that you dropped in She reminds me of the one I loved back then Lord, she was hotter than a two-dollar pistol She was the fastest thing So these games have very, very simple gameplay and so we're not going to be going that far in depth into it. But one of the things that I wanted to get your thoughts on, Sean, was how you felt about the gameplay going from the first game we played to the third. Sure. And I do want to note as well, there are a couple other things we could just kind of throw in there. There are the bonus levels would be one thing. Each game has different mm-hmm. ones. The, the one that's interesting in Shadow Dancer is that you are falling from a building and you're throwing your shurikens downward at ninjas who are flying up at you. And if you don't <laughs> hit any of them, if you don't press anything, you get a one up. In this right. game, if you're playing it the traditional way, you're going to want those one-ups. So when you get to those bonus stages, you want to just put your controller down. It's a very interesting uh, thing going on there. And the other thing is um, there are a couple auto-scrollers throughout the series. I can't mm-hmm. remember which game I was playing. It wasn't Shadow Dancer. It was one of the other two that has the horse level, like kind of right in the beginning. That's Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master. Yeah, a couple creative ways of doing auto-scrollers and stuff like that. And I'm sorry, what was the question you threw at me about the gameplay in general? Just kind of how you felt about the gameplay from release to release, like from the first game to the third. So playing Shadow Dancer first, I did notice that they added a bunch of stuff to the other two games, right? 
In Shadow Dancer, you have one special attack, and you can pretty much use it one time per level. It's a screen-clearing thing that you can do. But in the subsequent two games, you can pause the game and change your special attacks and use different weapons, and there's all kinds of different power-ups. got a little bit more complicated, for lack of a better word, (laughs) and uh, I probably didn't spend enough time with either one of these games to be able to comment too much on like strategies that were deployed or what were my favorite weapons. Again, I looked at these games as kind of ranged weapons versus melee weapons and you don't want to use melee weapons if you don't have to kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I noticed like playing Shadow Dancer first, very simple game, you know. And then going into the other ones it's like, "Whoa, I have a life bar now. I have options of weapons and all this <laughs> other stuff." Yeah, I was kind of taken aback by how much more complicated the second and third games that we played were. Yeah, I feel like it just kind of fell into the background where I just didn't want to go through and choose. And just doing that screen clearing mode was good for me because it would actually take two bars off of the bosses when you would do it each time. So that was kind of nice to have that in Shadow Dancer. So, yeah, I didn't like the kind of scrolling options I mean, I guess it gives the game a little more variety. And if you're playing it strategically, those are good. But for me, it just kind of fell into the background where I didn't want to use it. It reminds me a little bit of the Genesis games, uh, Streets of Rage and Streets of Rage 2, where you just have that screen clearing move. And, you know, when that's all you have, it's very, very nice just to have that. It just keeps the game simpler and for me makes for a better experience. But one thing you did mention were the one-ups. And you mentioned the stage where you're falling down the building. You can go through that and not attack anyone and still get a one-up. But if you get up to 48, I think you get two-ups. And if you get all 50, you get three. I see. And there's a strategy that I believe Metal Fro was talking about and he was implementing, or maybe it was uh, Mr. Stubbs. I can't remember. But if you go all the way to the left side of the screen and you just keep throwing, you can get all 50 of them each time. And so, especially with Shadow Dancer, I found that the one-ups were very plentiful in that. And because of that, you could actually beat the game in one sitting. The other thing is, is that there were hidden one-ups. on all of the boards you would get those if you hit them with your katana or if you hit them with your throwing stars so that was another way to gain extra lives and uh, they were much more plentiful in that game than they were in the other two of course one of the mechanics in all three games is jumping you're able to jump in these games which in a few of them you're able to double jump and then i know in Shinobi 3, you are not able to double jump, but one thing you can do in that game that you can't do in the other two is wall jump. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the wall jump in uh, Ninja Gaiden or Metroid, Mm -hmm. except you don't stick to the wall. You just got to go back and forth, which sometimes can cause some problems because the mechanic is not quite flawless. Correct. A little slippery, but it does the job. So I wanted to answer the question that I posed to you as far as the mechanics were concerned. And like I said, we played these out of order, but had we played them in order, we'd have played Revenge of Shinobi first, Shadow Dancer, and Shinobi 3. And as far as the gameplay mechanics and just the movement in the games, I just felt like as the series went on, as with most series and what is supposed to happen in game development, is that the movement got a lot more fluid. 
I felt like in Revenge of Shinobi, the first game that was released in the series, the jumping mechanic was a bit rigid. It didn't feel very fluid to me. It was very stiff. And then Shadow Dancer improved upon that. It was much better. And then I felt like Shinobi 3 was almost flawless. It felt really, really good to play. And so I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it's just something that I wanted to mention. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that, but you know, you make a good point. And Not to completely change the subject, but I wanted to ask you about the boss battles between the three different games, because like I mentioned earlier, Shadow Dancer, especially coming off a game like Sky Blazer from a couple months ago that had amazing boss battles, in my opinion, this game had okay boss battles, but one thing I noticed that made them very challenging was that the hitboxes were like, I don't know, two pixels wide, you know, very, very (laughs) hard to hit, and I'm wondering having not put a super amount of time into the other two games, does that persist? And like, how did you feel about that in general, as far as getting through the boss battles? Well, I will say that being a fan of the arcade version that yes, that's something that's pretty common with the series, Um, you know, especially that hitting them around the eyes or hitting them during a certain time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the type of game where if you just attack a boss, you're going to register a hit. You have to actually work for it or figure out a pattern to be able to do that. Uh, I was playing uh, Shinobi 3 again today, just as a refresher, and with the first boss, there is only this certain time where you can hit him and then, you know, avoid a charge and things like that. So yeah, that is something that's fairly common with the series, Sean. I'm glad you brought that up. Interesting, yeah. All right. Well, not as long as most of our gameplay talks, but again, you know, it's a, a bit of a simplified game, just a hack and slash, almost in the run and gun style. So let's move into graphics and environment, Sean. I'm curious how you felt about these. Yeah, I thought the graphics were pretty decent in all three of these games. I like the sprite work. Uh, again, I really like the title screen on shadow dancer and the ending big like banner screens during the ending with uh your main character and the dog standing in front of the skyline (laughs) of new york city you know with the emulator you can screenshot whenever you want so i took a nice screen cap of that ending screen i really enjoyed that and as far as the graphics within the game a lot of enemies are repeated so you're gonna get that Mm -hmm. there's not a ton of variety there even the boss battles that we just talked about, like some of the bosses were like pretty ugly and just like weird looking and not in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. But in general for a Sega Genesis bunch of games, uh, you know, I have a bias towards Nintendo from this generation. I grew up with a super Nintendo, like I said, so did I. Uh, So my bias is that I consider the Super Nintendo to have better graphics, just cards on the table. That's how I feel. So when I say for a Genesis game, these have decent graphics. That's what I mean. Um, but yeah, I like the sprite work was good. I, I never had trouble knowing what I could stand on. You know, sometimes with platformer games, like when we played uh, Chippendale on the NES, I didn't know uh-huh. where I could stand kind of thing or what I could jump onto. Never had that problem with these games. So that's really all I ask with a platformer. <laughs> so yeah, pretty good stuff. And you know, the environments are very varied. You go to all these different environments of like factories or you're out on the city streets and 
Uh, you're in a castle. Like I'm just making stuff up, but all the levels look very different from each other. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I really did like the variety of levels. And you mentioned before, there's one level you're even like riding on a horse, which yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. But at the same time, it doesn't break form. And, you know, it's just a fun addition to the game. Much like the gameplay, I did feel like the graphics were a lot crisper and more detailed as you went from game to game. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I really didn't care for in The Revenge of Shinobi, which they corrected in the other two games, was especially in the outside areas, there was one particular board that had like waterfalls and stuff like that. But when enemies would use projectiles, a lot of times those would blend into the background and you couldn't see those. And for that reason, you would take damage you know, it wasn't only that you would take damage, you know, they were insta-kills sometimes. So that made it pretty difficult with some of those boards. And it became a matter of having to memorize things more than to react and trying to throw projectiles and hit an enemy before it actually came onto the stage and was able to fire at you. So I did feel like that was a little more frustrating, but I agree with you. I love the level design in these games. It's really cool. Shadow Dancer was awesome because the levels were so compact. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And I believe there was only maybe like 15 levels in total, which doesn't include that last mission where you're having to go through all those rooms. But yeah, I I thought the graphics and environments were good, especially in Shinobi 3. I mean, the detail was so awesome. Like the horse looked great. All the enemies looked great. Just had great sprite work and even some shadowing on yourself and some of the enemies, which was cool. And uh, you know, it's got me thinking, maybe I got to find me a, a photo of something that I can do some pixel art for Shinobi with, right? Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> maybe a ninja on a horse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be quite some sprite work there. That would take a while. All right, Sean, uh, let's go into the music and sounds of the game. What did you think? Yeah, typical Sega Genesis music, I'll just say that. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing bad or offensive here. Some of the music got a little annoying at times, uh, especially I spent most of my time with Shadow Dancer. Sometimes you play some of these old games and you're like, wow, this game jams. Music in this game is awesome. And sometimes not so much. And this is one of those where it's like, yeah, not, not something I would put on outside of the game. Not bad or offensive. Some of the loops were pretty short, I thought, and some mm-hmm. of some of them got a little bit annoying. But yeah, this is 16-bit music. Genesis music has, you know, the Genesis sound chip or whatever has a very distinct mm-hmm. range of sounds. And you know what you're in for if you've ever played a Sega Genesis game. So decent stuff. I don't want to dog on it, but it wasn't <laughs> like anything out of this world special to me. It was just like good enough for the game. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this might be one of the things we disagree on. So oh, okay. I love the music in these games. Uh, oh, good, good. Yeah, and uh, actually own copies. Uh, Data Disc actually put out Revenge of Shinobi <laughs> and Shinobi 3 on vinyl. So I think they're excellent soundtracks. Uh, they, I feel like they fit the games really well. It does have that sort of Far East sound, yeah. uh, which you know fits perfectly into the games. Uh, you mentioned the chip in the Genesis And I know you prefer the Super Nintendo to the Genesis, but I was a Super Nintendo kid too. I didn't have a Genesis till I got older and started collecting. But 
I think the sounds on the Genesis are better than the Super Nintendo. They had this kind of teeny sound to them that you always associate with the Sega Genesis. And uh, yeah, I really, really like the music in these games. And I, I definitely think it's quite above average, whereas a lot of games I would say, oh, it just kind of fits and, you know, it's, it's okay. But, you know, I think they did a really good job with the music in here. So uh, that would be my thoughts on that. Good. I'm glad you stood up for the Genesis sound chip I, because I know it has its fans. It's just not my yeah. preference. So that was good. Awesome. Well, this was quite a quick conversation, Sean. We're already at our final thoughts. And so I would like to hear final thoughts on these games. But also, if you could, let's rank the games in order of what you preferred. Well, that's pretty easy. Like Shadow Dancer, I was compelled to kind of spend time with it, where Mm -hmm. the other two games I was like, all right, I got the gist of this. Like, I'm not going to play the whole thing. You know what I mean? So maybe it was a dog. Maybe it was just like the simplicity of the game. Maybe it was just feeling like these levels are short. I can get through this game. I can do it. You know what I mean? Like something about it did kind of grab me and I felt compelled to go through the whole thing. You know, cheats notwithstanding, turbo controller notwithstanding, (laughs) save states notwithstanding. (laughs) Yeah, so with all that stuff, it was definitely Shadow Dancer. That was the one that stuck with me out of the three. As far as my final thoughts, this was a very interesting playthrough for me because I came into this series with no emotional attachment for it. You know, like I said in the beginning, it's just something that I knew about, but I was never into these games, never really played them. And coming out of it, I feel exactly the same way. It's kind of a weird feeling. A lot of times we'll play games and we're like, wow, like Skyblazer. Wow, I never heard of this game, but I really loved it. And then there's some games like Phantom Dust. Wow, I had heard a lot of good things about this game and I really didn't like it. Like a lot of times just playing the games, obviously you're going to form some kind of opinion about them. With these, I'm just kind of you know, I came into the world of Shinobi, played some of the games, and now I'm just leaving it behind. I I don't think I have any major revelations or changes of preference. 
I'm not going to start collecting Genesis again so I can put these on my shelf or anything. It's just like, eh, that was pretty cool. Like, you know, the dog was fun and the graphics cool, all that kind of stuff. The Twin Towers pixel art was great. And uh, yeah, just not leaving a, a massive impact on me. And we usually say, like, would we recommend the game or not? Like, sure. Yeah. Give it a mm-hmm. shot. Like, it's easy to emulate if you don't want to collect them, you know, just give, try it. Shadow Dancer, I think if you are patient and maybe like <laughs> like you did, if you figure out a way to get through that final level, it's definitely a beatable game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would give the most pedestrian, like lukewarm recommendation. Like, yeah, give them a shot, play them. you know? Yeah. So it's weird, my thoughts on this as far as final thoughts. I always have some kind of like hard a yes or no, or I loved it. I hated it. You know, I changed my mind about playing it a second or third time or whatever. These are just going to come and go out of my life is how I feel about it. Awesome, man. And again, you know, it's great hearing your thoughts on that from somebody who is a first timer playing these games. And I definitely agree with a lot of what you said and we'll cover that in my final thoughts. But uh, as far as my favorites, I'm with you, man. I thought Shadow Dancer was the best of these three games. And I don't know. I don't know if it's the dog mechanic, if it's that feeling of being able to complete the game and it not being overly difficult. It's funny. I I compare these games to the story Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, (laughs) where she would go in and she would say, oh, this one's too hard. Oh, this one's too soft. Oh, this one's just right. You know? (laughs) (laughs) So I feel that way about these games. I felt like Shadow Dancer was baby bear. It fit with my style of play and, you know, I just enjoyed it more. I felt that the other two were either too difficult or too rigid in places. And because of that, I just didn't have the motivation to get through those games or finish them. I love finishing games, and you know that, and I'm usually good about doing so, but I just did not have the drive to finish these games. Um, Second, I would probably rank Shinobi 3, because it's beautiful, it's a lot of fun, there's a lot of variation in it, and uh, it's a really good game. It is very, very difficult. I think Pam did a video on this game. She actually beat it. Kudos to her. That's an awesome feat. The game is difficult, but I do like the variation in the game. I like the um, force part that you were talking about. At some point in the game, you're on the water on a jet sled uh, attacking an enemy. It reminds me of uh, the Ninja Turtles game, uh, Turtles in Time. Yeah. So it's really cool, but I would say probably my least favorite would be the first title that was released, which was Revenge of Shinobi. I just I found it stiff, as I mentioned before. Some of the projectiles blend in with the background. And I would just get to certain parts of that game where I would be spending 30 minutes where I should be able to get past that in at least like seven to 10 tries. I shouldn't keep having to come back to this and figure it out and take so long. But yeah, um, as far as the series is concerned as a whole, I love the Shinobi series, something that I've always been a fan of. As I mentioned before, I played the arcade game as a kid, and I still have a great fondness for that. Uh, I thought it was interesting to play all three of these together and just compare and contrast them, and that was probably what I enjoyed about this playthrough the most. As far as 
would I recommend these games? I mean, I would recommend them in the order that I mentioned before as far as what my favorite to my least favorite was. But um, yeah, I think they're worth having in your collection if you're a Sega Genesis fan. You know, it was definitely a cool flagship for the Sega franchise, and I definitely hope it comes back. There were other iterations. I think there was one on the Game Boy Advance that was just god-awful. I believe there was a Shinobi game released on the PS2, which I played some of, but not a whole lot. So there hasn't been a really good classic-style Shinobi game in a while. The Metroid series has just come back. The Shinobi titles would be fun to do in the same sort of retro style as they were put out on the Genesis. So, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts. Awesome. I want to note two things real quick. Uh, Steven Disposed Hero agrees with you about the music. He had posted that the (laughs) soundtracks for all these games are awesome and even linked to some of it in the forum. But since I'm looking at it, Stubbs's ranking of the games, he said uh, from best to worst, that would be Shinobi 3 Shadow Dancer and then a very distant Revenge of Shinobi. So <laughs> I can agree with in that. In line yeah. with what you were saying there. So appreciate these guys as always and anybody who plays a game for uh, participating in the forum there. So speaking of which, we can go into our games for what we are playing in October, which is... Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare, which is a standalone DLC to the original Red Dead Redemption game. This is available on Xbox 360 and PS3. You do not have to have played Red Dead Redemption to enjoy this game. There are some references, some characters, but nothing will be spoiled from the original game. Just maybe some references will go over your head. And for what it's worth, a lot of references went over my head because I haven't played the original Red Dead since when it first came out. So uh, replaying Undead Nightmare was fine, even though I didn't remember some of the characters. So uh, that's what we're playing in October. Rich, how about November? Yeah, we announced this ahead of time on the last show, but we are playing Brave Fencer Musashi in November. This is an action RPG. It's something I played a long time ago when it first came out, so I'm really curious to revisit it and see how I enjoy this playthrough. I did not finish it when I was younger, so that's going to be quite the challenge for me, and I'm going to try to push through and beat it this time. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this game as well, Sean, because as I assume, you haven't played this game before, correct? Never played it before. I gave it a shot a couple nights ago, and, you know, as I get more into it, I'll reserve my thoughts for the forum and for the podcast. Come out tonight To see the bright and hollow sky 
And that is going to do it for another episode. Thank you as always for listening and a special thanks as always to all of our participants. Tune in next month as we check out a standalone DLC that has gained its very own cult following with Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare. Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join all of our playthroughs and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blame it.